Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Hi, this is Steve. One of the most basic techniques in all of film is shot, point of view, reaction shot. It happens so often that most of the time we don't even notice it. We see a character, we see them look at something, we see what they are seeing, and we see their reaction. Simple, right? But there's a magic in that simplicity, because when executed perfectly, the simple progression of shot, POV, reaction shot, gives the audience something I can only describe as telepathy. We know in that moment, without dialogue or explanation, exactly what our main character is thinking. No filmmaker understands the power of this technique better than Alfred Hitchcock, and no film demonstrates it more consistently and brilliantly than his 1954 classic, Rear Window. Starring Jimmy Stewart, Grace Kelly, Thelma Ritter, and Raymond Burr, Rear Window is one of the most deceptively simple films ever made. Just a man in a wheelchair looking out the window at his neighbors. And yet, despite its simplicity, Rear Window is as compelling today as it was over 60 years ago. So if you have any ambitions of being a filmmaker, I highly recommend picking up a copy of Rear Window at our website, cinephiles.net, and studying it for performance, screenwriting, sound design, and of course, the simple progression of shot, POV, reaction shot. Then come back on Friday to hear John and I break it down as we continue our month of Hitchcock on The Cinephiles. Hi everyone, this is Steve, jumping in before our episode on Alfred Hitchcock's Rear Window with a special announcement. We've decided to finish our month of Hitchcock with a full commentary track on one of his greatest films, but we are leaving the choice of that film up to you. It's also 2019, which means a whole new year of great films are available for us to talk about. So we'd love to hear what 2009 movie you are most interested in hearing John and I discuss. So in order to answer those questions and a few others, we've created our 2019 listener survey. We're going to post a link to that survey on our Facebook page, our website, cinephiles.net, as well as Twitter and Instagram. But if you like comping down complicated URLs from a podcast, get your pencil ready. The 2019 Cinephiles Listener Survey is available at www.surveymonkey.com slash r slash c8ntmql. That's surveymonkey.com slash r slash c8ntmql. And now I give you Alfred Hitchcock's Rear Window. 
I've seen bickering and family quarrels and mysterious trips at night, knives and saws and ropes, and now since last evening, not a sign of the wife. All right, now you tell me where she is. I don't what, what's know. What's she doing? Where is she? Maybe he's leaving his wife. I don't know. I don't care. Lots of people have knives and saws and ropes around their houses, not, and not lots the... of men don't speak to their wives all day. Lots of wives nag, and men hate them, and trouble starts. But very, very few of them end up in murder, if that's what you think. I, it's pretty hard for you to keep away from that word, isn't it? Hello, and welcome once again to The Cinephiles, where each week we enter the world of a great film. We explore its themes, the history, the filmmaking, and the influence it has on us today. My name is Steve Morris. I'm a filmmaker and directing instructor in Los Angeles, California. Hello, everyone. My name is John Roke. I'm a voiceover artist, uh, writer, producer, and host over at Collider, and a lover of all things interesting, and so I'm very happy. All things interesting. All things interesting, but it's all subjective what I find interesting. I was just going to say, I guess guess we all are. Whatever we find interesting, we probably love. We do love it, and this is, uh, I can't believe we're finally doing it, Steve, a Hitchcock movie on the Cinephiles after three years. Not just a Hitchcock movie, my friend. Right. We are in the midst of the month of Hitchcock. Yeah, man. And for those of you who've already listened to our kind of deep dive into Hitchcock and his life, that was last week. And now today we are beginning our exploration of Rear Window. Yeah. This is just a great film. And of course, one of the reasons we're doing it is it's a suggestion of not one, not two, not three, but four of our patrons. Nice. Uh, James Williams, Clay Williams, Clay, who's been helping us out. Uh, Patrick Giorno, Giormo. Sure. Um, I think I'm saying that right. Rodrigo and Rodrigo Picardo. Nice. Um, all four of them wanted to hear us talk about Rear Window, and right now we want to hear them talk about Rear Window. Hi, my name is Rodrigo Picardo, originally from Salinas, California, now living in Los Angeles. Thank you, Steve and John, John and Steve, for talking about Rear Window. In my opinion, it's the quintessential Hitchcock film and a great gateway into him. It's got everything, his amazing camera work, sense of humor, symbolism, characterization, a beautiful set, Grace Kelly. It's a great mystery story and a prime example of visual storytelling. And overall, it's a wonderful cinematic experience. As soon as the music hits and those curtains rise, you know you're in for a good time. Thanks again, both of you. Keep up the tremendous work you do. Wow. Really appreciate your support, and we really appreciate that you picked this great film for us to do. So, John, how did you first come to Rear Window? Uh, just recently, literally last wow. year or earlier this year, if I remember correctly, because I know I Instagrammed about it. So I think it was last year that I saw it for the first time. Uh, it's one of those ones that had been like, you know, everyone has blind spots of the great filmmakers. Um, and you go, I'll get around to it. I'll get around to it. And then one day I kind of, well, well, not one day, I guess. Steve, you know this. Every once in a while I'll go on these, well, what have I not seen from the top right. 100 at AFI? Yeah. And I'll look on TCM and I'll set my DVR to record those films so I can watch them. And Rear Window was on there just blinking at me going, when are you going to watch me? When are you going to watch me? <laughs> so I finally sat down and watched an afternoon where I, when I, when I was sick uh, from work on a Saturday afternoon and just sat and watched it and really enjoyed the film. Um, and in 2018... It still has so much to say about this idea of spying on your neighbors, yeah. this idea of minding your business, and also this idea of what it can all lead to and whether you should do the right thing or not do the right thing. And it's incredible well, how... And whether or not it's the right thing. And whether or not it's the right Exactly. And it's yeah. incredible how Hitchcock fills 
Every one of these apartments was such life with these interesting characters. L- Speaking of loving all things interesting, uh, all these inc- interesting characters that could work today, even today. Um, for me, I had literally have no idea when I first saw it. Oh, wow. I don't know. I, I, I know that by the time I was in college, I had seen it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I really don't know when. I'm sure it was on TV at some point when I was in you know, junior high-ish, mm-hmm. something like that. But I didn't don't think I appreciated it until film school. And then this became a real... There's certain films that went you went back to and back to and back to in film school. Of course, Citizen Kane is one of them, um, and Rear Window is definitely one of them that we return to over and over again because the craftsmanship is just unbelievable. Yeah. And, and but but I will say, watching it this time, I feel so privileged that we are doing this month on Hitchcock because I didn't appreciate it. I mean, th- this movie is so damn good. Yeah. And really getting the opportunity to study it this time, wow. Yeah. Really, really just blew me away. Yeah. Um, talk a little bit about pre-production. It's uh, one of the things this movie is based on is a famous case in England, I believe, which is the Dr. Crippet case, mm. in which a doctor fell in love with his secretary, murdered his wife, cut her up in little pieces, buried her, and then took his secretary off on a cruise or sailing and, and disguised her as a sailor on the ship. And they eventually got caught and the wife was discovered. And so that, and there's another very famous murder that this is sort of based on. It's also based on a short story, which is by Cornel Woolrich and uh, John Michael Hayes wrote the screenplay. And what we should say is that Hitchcock is involved at every single step, including the screenplay. Mm. He didn't write the screenplays, but he definitely piece by piece, detail by detail. He was involved in every single step on the screenplay. And one of the things is that in the short story, there's no love interest. So the short story is just about a dude who's got a broken leg observing this murder. But the whole depth of this movie really comes from the addition of the love interest Absolutely. of the Grace Kelly character. And that wasn't in there. And, um, you know, he casts one of his favorite actors to work with, which is Jimmy Stewart, who seems to be sort of when he wants the everyman, mm-hmm. he goes with Jimmy Stewart. Yeah. And this is about that time where Jimmy is transitioning, right? Yeah. From like the... Oh, gosh, kind of leading man of the 40s and 50s into something a little more uh, mature, yeah, mature, complex, yep. dark, uh, those kinds of things. And so, yes, an everyman, but also showing what can be lurking inside the everyman that no one sees on the surface. Um, this is his second film with Grace Kelly. Mm-hmm. First was Dial in for Murder. And mm-hmm. it sounds like Hitchcock and his wife, Alma, they love Grace Kelly. She became a very close friend. She visited them a lot. And we had to say, you know, there have been lots of leading ladies uh, that Hitchcock used and was to some degree obsessed with. Mm-hmm. It seems like Grace Kelly's the number one. Mm-hmm. She's the ideal. She is the perfect Hitchcock blonde. And later on in his career with people like Tippi Hedrum and Kim Novak, he was trying to recreate mm-hmm. Grace Kelly. He was trying to vertigo them. He literally was trying to vertigo them. <laughs> um, it was shot at the, on the Paramount lot. This is... The biggest set ever built at that time on the Paramount lot. It's one of the biggest sets Hitchcock ever did in his career. Mm-hmm. And one of the things they did is they get in there and they wanted, they built this whole neighborhood in this one studio, but it wasn't tall enough. They didn't have enough room. Mm-hmm. Underneath the studio, underneath the concrete floor, was a basement where they mostly stored furniture. And so they said, let's bust into the basement. So they knocked out the whole concrete floor, went down a whole nother story, and that bottom became the, the where the grass is and where the bottom of this neighborhood is. Oh. And the f- ground floor, that's where Jimmy Stewart's apartment is. Now one store, story up. Okay. I mean, this is a huge, huge, massive set. Yeah. Um, that's all the pre-production I got. Okay. Want to go into the movie? Hell Yeah. <laughs> 
we start, strangely enough, looking through some windows. Yeah. And as we're looking at these windows, the curtains slowly rise up on that title rear window. You, again, you couldn't be more perfect as an opening for this film. Yeah. We are open, literally opening our eyes onto the neighborhood. Yeah. And those windows are our eyes. And getting a, a good idea of what this neighborhood is and yep. characters involved in them and their daily lives. Yep. Because yeah. the next thing that happens is the credits end is the camera pushes out mm-hmm. through that window. And then we begin this counterclockwise pan starting on a cat. And we go and see everything that's in the neighborhood. Yeah, We 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 go up to see a family uh, with a little girl, which is who we see the least of in this whole film. Mm-hmm. Um, we see a couple sleeping on a fire escape. And then we catch our glimpse of our first glimpse of Miss Torso. Yeah. I can't think of a more objectifying name. <laughs> She's literally called in the film Miss Torso. All right. And this is this beautiful blonde woman who is uh, dressing as we speak, mm-hmm. you know, is fairly risque of a shot of her back as mm-hmm. she takes off and then puts on a bra. And then she goes and begins dancing and brushing her hair. Um, and the camera keeps panning over until it pans over to Jimmy Stewart sweating. Yeah. And then a shot of a very high thermometer. It's over 100 degrees. And we've kind of moved into our movie. Yeah. Um, by the way, it actually was really hot on this set. Oh, well. Because they had to light all of these spaces all at the same time. So it was consistently over 100 degrees yeah. on a set. So when they're acting hot, it's hot. <laughs> and we continue to see more of our neighborhood. We see that there's a composer working up on a piano. We see our married couple who are sleeping on this balcony wake up. We get a little visual gag because they're actually head to toe. We see the man sitting, sleeping one way, and then the woman pulls off the covers, and you see, oh, she's down at his feet, which is kind of funny. We're back with Miss Torso, who's now doing some dance moves. And uh, by the way, Hitchcock, she wanted to go to the, there was on the studio lot, there's the studio choreographer. Mm -hmm. So she said, well, let me go to the choreographer to get some dance moves. And he said, absolutely not. You will come up with your own dance moves. And so those are what she made up. Ah. Which, again, is great direction because you want it to be what someone... You don't right. want choreography. Right. This is what someone would do when they're on their own. Yep. Um, we hear the great... By the way, one of the nominations this got is for sound design. Mm-hmm. And the sound design is great. And, and Hitchcock pushed it in all of these levels to get real sound with real reverberation, but real distances. And right now we're hearing children playing, we're hearing street sounds. It yeah. feels really, really real. It walks. It effectively walks you into the world. Like, you're surrounded Absolutely. by the world as you're watching this movie that he has created. Well, and one of the really important things that Hitchcock insisted on is the geography. Right. Because you have to under. He wanted you to understand exactly where everything is. Yeah. What the distances are, which windows are next to which windows, which a lot of filmmakers today, they don't really care about. No, they'll fix it in post, or they'll edit around it, or they'll make it look the way it's supposed to look. But like, um, that's those are the three things that Steve that I, I really first is the colors, yeah, the distance of where everything is, and the geography of the placement, and then the sounds, very natural sounds that you would yep. hear uh, if you've ever lived in an apartment complex or ever lived around an apartment complex. Those are the sounds you would naturally. The combination of all those different sounds crashing into each other at the same yep. time. And, and it's funny, like there is a composer whose name I think is Waxman, mm-hmm. um, but really all he composed is this one theme, which is what the composer mm-hmm. in the movie is working on. Right. Other than that, this movie is no score. Um, to use one of the great film school terms, the score is entirely diegetic. 
Okay. <laughs> the terms are diegetic and non-diegetic, which uh -huh. means it's either in the world of the movie or it's not. Uh -huh. So non-diegetic means we're out of the world of the movie, so score is coming in. Diegetic means we're in the world of the movie, so you're hearing things come over a radio or the composer playing right. piano. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and that's this is entirely a diegetic film. <laughs> okay. Now you guys have all been to a little bit of film school. <laughs> um, and now we're back to Jimmy Stewart. And as we pan down him, we see that he is wearing a big honking cast. Yeah. And we see his name is L.B. Jeffries on the cast. And this is perfect Hitchcock storytelling. We see the cast. Camera continues to pan. We see a broken camera. Mm -hmm. So we know, oh, something happened. Continues to pan. We see an amazing photograph of a car wreck. It continues to pan. We see a fire. We see more photographs. So we realize that this we, uh, is a photographer. We see more photographic equipment. We see a beautiful woman in negative. And then we see a beautiful woman on the cover of a magazine. Yeah. And we pretty much know who this guy is. Yeah, I call this Sherlocking, where mm. you where you have non what do you call non dialogue exposition that gives you a window into this character before the character even speaks. I um, love that term. Yeah, can we adopt that officially in Absolute. the cinephiles? Hashtag Sherlock. Yeah, that is really good because the great thing about it is that you are active as an audience mm -hmm. member. Yeah, it's not this again. One of the classic terms in writing and screenwriting is show don't tell. Right, and this is show is that you're figuring out. Oh, I get it. Yeah, I mean, you could have some dialogue that says, "I am a you know right. photographer who is injured in a blah blah blah." Right, voiceover dialogue or whatever. Yeah, yeah. but also it makes the audience feel like it is it. Puts the audience in the framework of, oh, this is a mystery. Oh, oh, oh I'm. I want to figure this guy out. Like you, you actively engage the audience, like you said, Steve. But you actively also put them in the position of where they have to feel like they're trying to figure things out as it goes along, which I think is brilliant. Well, and we're being a voyeur. Yes, there's this right. dude asleep. Great point. And we are spying on yes. him while he's sleeping. Yep. Which of course is what the whole movie is going to be about. Exactly. Yeah. Um, well, and this is one of the things that's so incredible about this movie is the unity of theme. Mm -hmm. That goes on every single layer, particularly when we get into the relationship between Grace Kelly and Jimmy Stewart mm. and all of the relationships and, and visions of love and romance that we see throughout the, the rest of the film. Mm -hmm. It's all hooked up together. Uh, it's a little bit later. He's shaving. He gets a phone call. It's his boss who wants to celebrate because he thought this was the week the guy's going to get his cast off. Right. It's not the week he's going to get his <laughs> cast off. That's a week from now. If only it was. Yeah. Well, this guy probably would have gotten away with murder. If yes. It had been. Hell. Yeah. And he probably wouldn't have two broken legs. Exactly. Spoiler alert for the end of the movie. <laughs> um, and of course, Jimmy Stewart was like, no, I want to go out. And we kind of find out that he is a out in the world mm -hmm. action kind of photographer. And there's something going on in Kashmir, like a revolution or politics or something. Right. And he wants to be there. Right. And he cannot be there. And once again, that's a nice window into his character, which is why he actively gets involved in this situation. He likes to be in the thick of the drama. Yeah. It is his drive. And, and of course, again, what Hitchcock does about the scene is while you're hearing this conversation, mm -hmm. most movies would stop there. This is a scene about conversation. But instead... We're watching Miss Torso. Yes. You know, we're seeing what he's seen and the things that he is seeing are directly related to what he's talking about. If you don't pull me out of this swamp of boredom, I'm going to do something drastic. Like what? Like what? I'm going to get married and then I'll never be able to go anywhere. 
<laughs> and as he does that, he is looking from Miss Torso, because yeah. that's making him think about getting married, right. to looking about the Torvalds, which is Raymond Burr, mm-hmm. great actor who I watched as a kid all the time on Perry Mason. Oh, yeah. Um, and later on Ironsides. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was all reruns for me when I was watching it. Sure, but sure, I st- sure, sure. I'm not that old. <laughs> um, Ironside, I think, was on when I was alive. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. But Perry Mason is... No, no, it's a black and white. But I did love Perry Mason. But I loved him in Godzilla, so I mean, I have Raymond Burr <laughs> all over the place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What a weird career. I know, right? <laughs> you have to um, do what you gotta do, man. And right now, we see him arguing with his wife. Yeah. Yeah. And he's a big guy. Like he he's is. a He's like this an, a version of Lee J. Cobb, another Lee J. Cobb body type. Do you know what I'm saying? Larger dude, bulky at the top, scary as hell, strong, pronounced face. Yeah. It's it's an interesting. And he's blonde, right? Or white-haired. White-haired, yeah. Which, which makes even it's, more, stand out even more. Very weird and striking. Yeah. Well, and, and again, you, you, what you see that Jimmy Stewart is seeing mm-hmm. is reflecting what he is talking about. Because right. as he's watching... Thorvald and his wife argue he's saying yeah she's just see me rushing home to a hot apartment to listen to the automatic laundry and the electric dishwasher and the garbage disposal the nagging wife I don't know any other movie that does this in this way which is the 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 in a weird way all of these neighbors are seen into Jimmy Stewart's brain yeah like these are his thoughts yeah. um it's a very very strange combination and uh, he gets off the phone, and the next thing that happens is he gets an itch. <laughs> Jimmy Stewart's itch acting is fantastic, because that cast goes all the way up to yep. his waist, yep. and he has to get his little back scratcher thing down into the cast to get that itch. And man, when he gets that itch, I'm relieved. <laughs> Have you ever had a cast, by the way? Uh, No. Yeah, I did on my, I broke my arm okay. when I was nine, Yep. and had the full you know cast halfway up the... Just for the record, John Roca just knocked wood. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I've never. I've never broken anything. No, but I've twisted my ankle. Or I've worn an air cast, but not. Yeah, an not the full real. Yeah, I had a real one on my arm. Wow. When you get that itch, it's it's rough. Oh, I'm sure it's the worst. Yeah, I've broken a couple of. I've broken really? several things. Yeah, toe, yeah. my arm, dislocated shoulder. Yeah, cracked some ribs. Well, maybe I'm the Bruce Willis to your Mr. Glass. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. I just. I. I. One of my greatest fears is breaking anything. It's not that bad. Okay. I mean, I, I don't recommend it. Looks it looks bad. Um, honestly, the broken arm hurt a lot less than like a really bad sprained ankle. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. The the And back pain. Don't don't get back pain. Oh, back, back stuff is the worst. Yeah. Um, um, but we digress. <laughs> I think we did. Listen, if this was top 10, this would have been like 25 oh, minutes. Oh, yeah, of course. It's been a 25-minute discussion about breaking things. Matt would have had some interesting way that he broke something in his life. Yeah. <laughs> um, back outside we see Raymond Burr exiting we see uh, one of the women we haven't met and she's kind of sunbathed and she's mm. a sculptor and right. and uh, she's you know fairly friendly Burr, Raymond Burr uh, Torvald is working in the garden um, and our sculptor lady kind of gives him a bit of criticism about how what he's doing with mm-hmm. the plants and he is not nice to her oh, why don't you shut up <laughs> yeah that's that's rough to your neighbor He's a he's a brusque guy. But here's the thing, though, is that he's an unhappy dude. Yeah, like his wife, I don't think she's a picnic. No, I mean, but then again, I don't think she deserves to get killed. I don't think she wants to get it. But I don't, would you want to be a picnic around a guy like that, though? That's well, this is. Doing. But but we don't get to know. I no, mean, we this, don't. We really like the don't. Th- the thing about the, we don't know. We know that she's an invalid, and we yeah. know that she's taking care of her. Because later on, we get to the scene where he brings her a meal in bed with a mm-hmm. flower, right. and she just 
tosses that flower away and she yeah right like we don't know what the, we don't know the chicken and the egg right like we don't know if he has been an asshole which caused her to be abusive right. or she has been horrible to him which causes her to be an, him to be an asshole and have this affair right. which leads to like we don't know where it starts obviously killing your wife no right is bad yes <laughs> that is right here you got it from the cinephiles right now that's the folks. official position of the our cinephiles. official <laughs> position is killing your wife is bad yes killing anybody yeah anybody. Uh, Stella. Oh, yeah. Thelma Ritter enters. She is like the insurance nurse that has been paid for by his insurance, who apparently, you know, kind of waits on him hand and foot, gives yep. him massages. She is fantastic. Oh, yeah. She is so good in this movie. Great it's, comedic relief. Yeah. And what she does immediately is because she sees him watching the neighbors and calls him a peeping Tom. <laughs> and that people like this go to jail. This is actually a crime. New York State sentence for a peeping Tom is six months in the workhouse. Oh, hello, Scott. They got no windows in the workhouse. You know, in the old days, they used to put your eyes out with a red-hot poker. Any of those bikini bombshells you're always watching worth a red-hot poker? And then she has this line, which I like quite a bit, which is, we become a race of peeping Toms. Maybe you should get outside your house and take a look in. She calls that homespun philosophy. He says he read that in Reader's Digest. (laughs) Um... Um, and while she's taking his temperature, she goes on and says that she should have been a gypsy fortune teller. And she tells this story about how she had been the nurse in 1929 mm-hmm. to the CEO of General Motors who had kidney problems. And she's like, I don't think this guy has kidney problems. I think this guy is stressed out. And I ask myself, what's General Motors got to be nervous about? Overproduction, I says. Collapse. When General Motors has to go to the bathroom 10 times a day, the whole country's ready to let go. which i think is a funny line and of course jeff being the more realistic person yeah says stella in economics a kidney ailment has no relationship with the stock market none whatsoever crashed didn't it and what's funny is this exactly parallels jeff who jeff is going to be in the movie Mm -hmm. which is he's going to make observations and he's going to make conclusions about what those observation means and then all these people are going to say particularly the detective that has nothing to do with reality, right. but it crashed, didn't it? Yeah. There was a murder, wasn't yeah, it? True. Yeah. And also, I think we should take a moment here, Steve, to look at the time this is happening. Because of what she says, right? 1954. Right. This is what? On the heels of the Red Scare. Uh, so oh, this, right in the middle. Right in the middle. So this idea of wanting to know what everyone is doing yep. is now starting to become a, a mainstream uh subject of conversation a topic right and this idea of it all and yes maybe i'm sure there were people in toms who get involved in people's lives in the 40s 30s 20s whatever it's always probably always been a, but this is now becoming a part of the movies this idea of seeing something watching something looking at something being interested in people's lives and having opinions about it it's all started gossiping right this is all sort of kind of coming out of from the 40s with head of hopper and all them go doing all the kinds of things they're doing now we're into the 50s and now it's becoming where every Everybody's got some kind of interest in somebody creating some kind of scenario. And I love that you want to get involved in it. So this, what she says, right? Take a step outside ourselves and look inside. That's almost the tenet of, of psychology. This idea of don't be looking at other people for their problems. Take a look at yourself first to analyze yourself and see how you're interpreting the situation first. That's where you start the process of understanding who you are or what's going on. I love that. That's a great point. And particularly, you know, thinking about the red scare, I hadn't thought about it, but, it's such a good point because what what happens at that time is that a thing that someone did mm-hmm. 
is suddenly going to be used against them. Some personal story. Right. And it's like, yes, it could be that someone was actually a communist agent working for the Soviets to destroy the country. Mm -hmm. That's possible. It also could be that someone went on a date and that date ended up in a meeting and they were in a room and now suddenly they're being asked to name names. Their life is being ruined Mm -hmm. and that do we have the right to have our private opinions to ourselves Mm -hmm. and discuss things in ourselves and have conflicts with our spouses without the world watching and judging and judging right yeah without having all the context of it and brother look where we are today yeah i mean the ability of the world to be up in our business Mm -hmm. you know there it's like if you close the window nobody knew what was going on right we can't close the window now the window is sitting in my ipad right here and Mm -hmm. my phone Mm -hmm. and my records and everything i buy and on facebook and on twitter like we and and is the world being very hey live and let live let's not judge other people's business (laughs) no no no. (laughs) it's not what's happening yeah on the heels of everything that happened with facebook and everything like that uh, and uh with the cambridge analytica all that happening you're just like oh these everyone seems to have access to all our personal data and where's our privacy it's all gone we're living in a rear window world now absolutely man scary yes and, and of course, what uh, Stella is saying is you're going to end up in front of a judge and get three years, mm-hmm. you know, for this. And really, she's correct. Yeah, the he's, whole time. He, and, and he is already being a full peeping Tom. Mm-hmm. And pretty soon he's going to pull out the binoculars. Right. You know, that's not messing around. Um, it's funny. She finishes uh, taking his temperature and she says he's got a hormone deficiency. <laughs> he's like, what? How you can judge that from taking your temperature? And she says... Those bathing beauties you've been watching haven't raised your temperature one degree in a month. Because what's he doing? He's staring at Miss Torso. Exactly. Yeah. We move over to the massage t- table. Um, and she's she's not nice to him at this massage. No. She's pretty brutal to him. Um, <laughs> and now we bring up the, the subject of Lisa, mm-hmm. which is Grace Kelly's character. Yeah. And why does he not want to marry her? Oh, I just, I'm not ready for marriage. Every man's ready for marriage when the right girl comes along. And Lisa Fremont is the right girl for any man with half a brain who can get one eye open. (laughs) Great lines, man. His response is, she's all right. (laughs) Now, look, I I don't think that uh, Lisa Fre- Fre- uh, Fremont is right for every man. There's sure. people that that wouldn't be right for. But anyone who describes Grace Kelly as all right, yeah, that is not correct. Yeah, she is not just all right, especially a guy creeping into middle age. Yeah. <laughs> for God's um, sake. And, and she's kind of going, what's going on here? Do you have a fight? Is the father loading up the shotgun? Is that the, what's going on here? No, she's just not the girl for me. Yeah, she's only perfect. She's too perfect. She's too talented. She's too beautiful. She's too sophisticated. She's too everything but what I want. Too perfect is going to be a thing that's going to come up a lot. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, because he says she comes from this sophisticated Park Avenue world, and that's not her his world. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's a camera bum. That's how he describes himself. Can you imagine her traveling around the world with a camera bum who never has more than a week's salary in the bank if, if she was only ordinary? I actually don't think he wants ordinary. No. That, that's not what he wants. No, no, no. And then he has this line that comes back is really important. You never going to get married? Well, probably get married. When I do, it's going to be to someone who thinks of life not just just as a new dress and a lobster dinner and the latest scandal. I need a woman who's willing to hold it, who's willing to go anywhere and do anything and love it. So the honest thing for me to do is just call the whole thing off, let her find somebody else. It's it's funny watching this movie this time uh, is that I have real problems with this guy. Yeah. 
You know, he's a problematic person. Oh, no. This is an interesting thing to watch. Like, he's the protagonist of this film, 1954. Yes. And that's why you cast Jimmy Stewart, because you don't want to hate the guy. Uh, and it causes you to explore hey. your feelings for him. But in 2018, with the advent of how we've changed as a culture so much, over, just over the last five years, Steve, you look at this movie now, and this is not a a good guy. This is not a, this is a kind of a complex character that you can decide for yourself if you want to enjoy this guy or enjoy his, or deserve or uh, feel that he deserves what he gets at the end. These are the things that you have to uh, like kind of explore within yourself. But yeah, I remember watching it last year. I was like, yeah, I don't like this guy. He's kind of a judgmental prick. He's really just one shade away from Raymond Burr on a dip, like flip side of the coin. You don't see him killing somebody, but you could see him yelling at uh, what's her face, the sculptor for telling him how to do the plants. Well, and see, this is, we've said this a lot that looking at this movie with 2018 lives, mm -hmm. et cetera, et cetera. I actually think, I don't think Hitchcock wants us to like this okay. much. That's I really great. think this is fully 1954 because yeah. you see all of the little cracks in his behavior and you see what we'll see throughout this movie is imagery reflecting his kind of fucked up perspective on the world. Yeah. Like it's very, very clearly in the filmmaking. I mean, yes, I think some of our feelings about th these things have changed, right. but a lot of it is like, no, no, that's what Hitchcock was saying, yeah. which is interesting because one of the interesting things about this film is Hitchcock's a cerebral guy. He is not an active, passionate person mm -hmm. and uh, and the the distance between the person who acts and the person who is thinking of things observing being a voyeur mm -hmm. being a spectator a spy on life that's a lot about hitchcock too yeah you know yeah i think i think it's, it's interesting because the other movie we're doing in our month of hitchcock is vertigo mm -hmm. and i think vertigo also is the other movie that gets really close to the bone of who Hitchcock is. Yeah. As opposed to a lot of his other movies, which are thrilling and exciting and beautifully crafted, mm -hmm. but they don't have a lot of heart to them in a way, mm -hmm. you know, because they are him, his craftsmanship as a director of suspense films. Yeah. And this and Vertigo, there's deeper stuff in there. Vertigo is almost prescient for what he's going to do for all the leading ladies after Grace. Oh, yeah. In what happens to both those female characters in the movie. Yeah. Um, and, and and then we hear, and this relates exactly to what Stella's about to say, which is like... Look, Mr. Jeffries, I'm not an educated woman, but I can tell you one thing. When a man and a woman see each other and like each other, they ought to come together. Wham. Like a couple of taxis on Broadway and not sit around analyzing each other like two specimens in a bottle. Well, you know, it's the rare great director, Steve, that doesn't cast their leading man to reflect their own personal philosophies on life and explore other people's right. criticism of their philosophies without necessarily denigrating them. Yep. Like you uh, you open the film, the film is essentially a discussion about these concepts and themes brought on by these characters and the exchanges they have. And most directors, the great ones, the great ones, uh, put their own philosophies through the protagonist's point of view to be questioned and either vilified or validated by the end of the movie. Well, this is why do you and I both love Citizen Kane? Yeah. You know, that's a movie where Wells puts himself at the center, yes. and that character is a lot of Orson Wells, and he does not make himself look good. No. Nope. You right. know, the same is true. Martin Scorsese does that. Yeah. Coppola certainly does that. Woody Allen does that. Is that they're, you know, they're like, here's me. Mm-hmm. Now rip me to pieces on some level, right? You know, right. And, and now we have Jimmy Stewart articulate the no. There's an intelligent way to approach marriage yeah. and feelings, and he has this very intellectual approach to it. And she just makes fun of him. She calls that baloney. Once it was see somebody, get excited, get married. 
Now it's read a lot of books, fence with a lot of four-syllable words, psychoanalyze each other until you can't tell the difference between a petting party and a civil service exam. And, and I love her, when she talks about her own marriage, she says, When I married Miles, we were both a couple of maladjusted misfits. We are still maladjusted misfits. And we have loved every minute of it. <laughs> I think that's a great... That's a great way to look at a marriage, oh. you know? And his response is, to get me a sandwich. <laughs> um, and she gives it, I have two words of advice for you. Marry her. Yeah. And this is what the movie's really going to be about. Mm-hmm. But he ignores her, of course. And because what he's really interested in is what's going on outside of his window. Right. He sees Thorvald. He sees our sculptor. Of course, he watches Miss Torso. And then, and this is it's what's so interesting about this movie is you can see his thought process happening by what he's seeing. Yeah. It's manifesting itself outside because the, he's thinking about Miss Torso, which leads him to think about sex, basically. Yeah. Right. And we move to this couple moving into this apartment, and the manager is welcoming them in. Right. And she is dressed in white, and you could see Jimmy Stewart watching and mm-hmm. going, oh, what exactly is going on here? And the manager goes away, and they kiss. And now Jimmy Stewart's going, okay, I... I'm not sure if I get it. Right. And then the the husband, we see him come up with an idea. We see him take the, the woman outside, and we see them come back inside with him carrying her. And we cut to Jimmy Stewart, and he goes, oh, I get it. Yeah. Of course, he doesn't say, oh, I get it. But right. you see in the reaction shot what it is. And again, they kiss. And the moment becomes intimate. And the woman suddenly looks out the window, almost right at Jimmy Stewart. Yeah. And, he, and then Jimmy Stewart is embarrassed. Mm-hmm. Looks away, but looks back. <laughs> it's the look away and look back that's so important to this film. Mm-hmm. And what does this young newlywed groom do? He closes the window shade. Damn right. Of course, and it is really perfect storytelling. Mm-hmm. You know, like we understand without any dialogue Again. exactly what's going on. Yeah. Yep. And we fade to black. Uh, later, it's sunset. By the way, on this big, huge set, they had four lighting setups that were up all the time. So they had a morning set, an afternoon set, a twilight set, and a night set. Wow. And so all they had to do was flip the switches, and we changed the time of day. Wow. You know, which is expensive because you're rigging four times as sure. many lights as you really need to. Sure. But the speed and the efficiency, this is how Hitchcock wanted it to work. Mm-hmm. In fact, this is like the perfect Hitchcock because he liked to shoot on the set where he had everything under his perfect control. Right. He wanted to shoot regular hours, banker's hours. You know, he <laughs> didn't like, fun. he didn't want to be out on location in the middle of the night. He wanted to have the meals he wanted to eat, all everything around him that he wanted to have. This is, and it's not that he didn't go out on location. Of no, course no. he did, yeah. but this is how he liked it. <laughs> and by the way, I totally get that. Yeah. We hear a woman singing scales and Jeff is asleep. And there's a shadow that moves in almost creepily up on him. And we cut to this shot of Grace Kelly coming towards camera. Man, it's a gorgeous shot. Oh, yeah. Beautiful, man. And she smiles. And then he wakes up. And he smiles. And there's a kiss. And it's done in this step-down slow motion process, which is basically them adding slow motion later. Mm-hmm. And it, it has this very beautiful romantic feel. Mm-hmm. And they have a little bit of dialogue. How's your leg? It hurts a little. And your stomach? Empty as a football. And do you love life? I'm not too active. Anything else bothering you? Mm-hmm. Who are you? <laughs> what a great intro to our characters. Yeah. 
And she goes around turning on the lights and says, reading from top to bottom. Lisa. Carol. Fremont. And she is wearing a fantastically beautiful dress. Yeah. Which, of course, is designed by the great Edith Head. Oh, wow. And I think we need to take a moment because Edith Head is the most famous costume designer in the history of Hollywood. Mm -hmm. She had uh, 35 Academy Award nominations, which is not the most in the history of Hollywood. That's John Williams, who has 50. Wow. But 35 nominations, won eight awards. The first one was with the heiress in 1949. The last one was for the Sting in 1973. Mm -hmm. She, When she showed up, uh, to Hollywood, she had no costume experience, zero. Wow. She got a job in the art department, in the costume department, to draw sketches, but she didn't get the job with her own sketches. She stole some sketches from, from some fellow students in art classes what? and brought them to the interview. Hollywood. Yep, that's in 1924. She's designing her first costumes in 1925 wow. for silent films. Um, by the 30s, she's one of Hollywood's top designers to the point where they used her name in advertisements, you know, to say featuring Edith Head costumes. Wow. Which can you imagine like how there's nothing like that? I mean, no, nobody has that in film. today. Yeah. And one of the things uh, that was different about her was all the male designers. They didn't talk to their leading ladies. They just said, you're going to wear this. Hmm. And Edith Head went and talked to them and consulted them and tried things on with them and you know, you think like, of course you have to do that, yeah. you know, to get to get their opinions, what works for them, of course. what colors works for them, what are they comfortable in, yeah. how do they see the characters. Um, and she worked extensively for Hitchcock, so much so that when Hitchcock moved from Paramount to Universal, so did Edith Head. Wow. Yeah. One of the great, great costume designers of all time. Isn't she the one they base uh, uh, Edna Mode on in The Incredibles? I think so, yeah. Yeah. I think that's one of the things they basically Yeah, right. On. Fair point. Yeah. <laughs> In addition Stop. to just Brad Bird's <laughs> unbelievable voice. Yes. Um, uh, and we see, so it, she's in this beautiful dress, and that's where we kind of find out that she's somehow in the fashion world, mm -hmm. that she wears these incredibly expensive, beautiful dresses, and then that helps sell dresses, and she's, you know, part of advertising for them and modeling mm -hmm. for them. It's the first Instagram model. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, that dress cost $1,100 Oof. in 1954. That's a pretty penny. That is a lot of money. And, and the last thing she says about the dress is even at half the price, it would be worth it for the occasion. Yeah. And he goes, well, what's the occasion? It's Wednesday. And she says, It's opening night of the last depressing week of L.B. Jeffries in a cast. <laughs> so she's coming to celebrate that he has only one week left. Yep. Again, she's perfect. I mean, yeah. like, like, like what an amazing thing she's going to do for him tonight. Mm -hmm. Of course, the first thing she does is she notices he has this old cigarette case. Mm -hmm. And this is a little throwaway moment, but I think it's so important. She's like, you know, this is all kind of crapped, cracked and dingy. And he goes, Oh, well, I got that in Hong Kong. It's kind of cracked too. Mm -hmm. And she goes, no, no, no. We're going to replace this with a beautiful silver cigarette case. This moment is that's exactly what she wants to do with his life. Yep is that he is cracked and dirty and wants to travel around the world, right. and she wants him in a three-piece suit in Manhattan mm -hmm. taking fashion photography. Yep. She's going to fix that. Nothing throwaway in this movie. Nope. And then she says, what would you think of starting off this week with dinner at 21, which, of course, is one of the fanciest, most expensive restaurants in New York at mm. the time? Uh, and his response is, do you have perhaps an ambulance? Hmm. And she says, better than that, 21. And she opens the door, and there is a waiter, with wine and food ready to serve, you know, to bring them an amazing dinner. Wow. 
Wow, indeed. Yeah, right. And there's a great smile from Jimmy Stewart at this moment. Um, and we, you know, he brings in the ice bucket. We're going to open the wine. And because her response is, I can't think of anything more tiresome than what you've been through yeah. in this cast. Yeah. And he says he wants to get it off and get moving. Get moving is what he wants to do. Mm-hmm. He wants to be off in cashmere. Right. You know, she doesn't quite get it. Um, and then she says she's going to make it a week you'll never forget. You know, when Grace Kelly <laughs> says she's going to give you a week you'll never forget. Yeah. Yeah. You want that week to start as soon as possible. Yep. <laughs> exactly right. Mm-hmm. But apparently Jimmy Stewart really doesn't. No. <laughs> it's like, what's wrong with you, dude? Yeah, exactly. Um, waiter goes away and she starts talking about her day. And he's such a jerk. Because as soon as she's talking about the meeting she had and, you know, these modeling things, this cocktail party and all this stuff. And he kind of asks her questions. Oh, what was so-and-so wearing? Right. And she starts to answer thinking he's actually interested. Yeah. And he is not. No. <laughs> not even a little bit. No. Just messes with her. Well, there's judgment there, right? Because he thinks he's above it. That's the thing. Absolutely. Y'all walking around. Like what he says before she even shows up. The idea of like, oh, can you, to his boss, can you see me coming home talking about the laundry or whatever? And Yeah. It's not his life. Yeah. Well, it, it, that's it, not what he it, wants it to be, at least. Yeah. Well, and all this sophisticated fashion stuff, it just seems stupid. Yeah. Him. Yeah. Talks down. Um, and, and she says she's even planted his name in articles and columns in New York. And it's like, well, why? Yeah. And her reason is to, so he can get a studio of his own in Manhattan. Yeah. And, uh, how would I run it from, say, uh, Pakistan? She doesn't. I think she genuinely doesn't get it at first. Really? Yeah. Okay. At this. Well, I mean. I feel like she gets it. I feel like she's willfully trying to not. Maybe. It's opinion, right? Like, it feels like to me that she gets it, but she's trying to like, no, 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 like get move past it because she thinks eventually she will convince him what she, of what she wants him to do. I think, it could be, I think it's either and both. You know, it's mm-hmm. sort of, why would anyone not want to live in Manhattan mm, right. and have this world that's the most fabulous? That's yeah. everything she believes is based on this is what's amazing. Yeah. And that's not what he believes. And this is sort of the core conflict they're going to have. Isn't it time you came home? You could pick your assignment. Well, I wish there was one I wanted. Make the one you want. You mean leave the magazine? Yes. For what? For yourself and me. I could get you a dozen assignments tomorrow. Fashions, portraits. And when he says, she says portraits, he just laughs. <laughs> of course, it's beneath him. It, yeah, of course. And, and you know what? There is a big difference between filming the revolution in some country of course. and sitting down to take portraits on some rich person's little kid. You know, yeah. that ain't the same thing. No disrespect to those portrait photographers of out there. Not. Of course, <laughs> you're doing fine work, my friend. No, but it's all a matter of status and it all a matter in of his perception mind. of the status. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. 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 Like he probably sees it akin to like drawing sketches at a, on the pier at a beach. And as, faces. Yeah, and as she kind of talks about seeing him in this beautiful dark suit, he says, Now, uh, let's stop talking nonsense, shall we? Hmm? And you see she's hurt. Yeah. Yep. He is so dismissive, and she says, I guess I'll go make dinner. Well, because the difference, because his dismissiveness of what she wants him to be or what she wants to have for their future is him dismissing her yep. as there's his future. As a couple, he's dismissing them as a couple the more he rejects the life she wants him to live. Well, and he doesn't say, listen, I really appreciate what you're trying to do for me. Right. And I totally understand that. But that's not what I like. Mm -hmm. You know, like we're not, you know, he he just dismisses her. Yeah. He's just rude to her. Out of hand. 
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. And as soon as he dismisses her and she's feeling sad, what does he go to look at? But Miss Lonely Hearts. Again, it's the connection, direct connection to exactly what's happening in the scene. Good point, Steve. Into what he watches. And we watch, man, this is so, it's so rough to watch. Mm -hmm. Because you see this woman, she's in a green dress. She's setting up a beautiful dinner for two. She's pouring a glass of wine. She lights the candles. He watches. He's kind of getting interested. Oh, what's what's going to happen here? Right. Um, and that, and he's more interested in the woman across the way who's oh, yeah, making a woman, dinner for two yeah. than the woman who's making him a dinner for two. Well, who brought in a dinner for who two? Yeah, to him. Yeah. Um, and she opens the door and she smiles. Obviously, seeing someone in the hallway. Yep. And she welcomes someone in, and no one comes in with her. Right. And she takes an imaginary hat. And we go back to Jeff going like, uh, what's happening here? And then slowly he starts to figure it out as she leans forward for an imaginary kiss. And Jimmy Stewart is kind of going, oh. And she pours the wine and she starts talking to someone who isn't there. Mm -hmm. And she makes a toast. And of course, there's no one there to toast her back. But who is toasting her back? It's Jeff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Is that he is actually connecting with yeah. the sad, lonely person over there mm-hmm. and not the sad, lonely person who is with him. Yeah. And it's funny. When you first watch this movie, I think you think of Grace Kelly as so sophisticated mm-hmm. and beyond mm-hmm. the people that we see in this neighborhood. Yeah. But really, she is Miss Torso and Miss Lonely Hearts. Right. That's who she is. Yeah. She's, we're seeing, and Jeff is seeing, the, the beautified, the 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 show that right. she's putting on for him right but when she goes back alone to her apartment man yeah you know i wonder what the window into that apartment is yeah to watch her yep mm-hmm. i i think it's i think it's miss torso and miss yeah. lonely hearts yeah. and at the end miss lonely hearts she can't keep up the act anymore and she puts her glass down she puts her head in her hand yeah it starts to cry starts to cry yeah and how many people actually do that that's one of those things interesting about the movie bro in 1954 you're watching these how many people saw themselves on that screen? Well, still do. Oh, yeah, okay. I mean, yeah, how, how many? How many? Still do. How many yeah. people closed the door in their apartment? Yeah, and they've gone out and faked it all day, mm-hmm. and now they sit all alone all night with a TV dinner. You know? Yeah. I mean, like people don't have TV dinners anymore. But your microwave dinner. I mean, like you know, we live in a yeah. you know this is a weird thing about the Facebook connected mm-hmm. world is we are uber connected and people feel often more connected. Or more disconnected. Yeah, more disconnected. Yeah. You know, so lonely and isolated and Yeah. Um by the way, the way Hitchcock directed all these people doing all these things in these scenes is they all had earpieces. 
Oh, wow. So he's talking them through all these actions. Right. And the other thing to keep in mind is when we're watching Jimmy Stewart react to all these things, yeah, he's reacting to nothing. Yeah. He's sitting alone with a camera in Hitchcock. Now, uh, and, you know, we talked today about people who are great green screen actors who have to see the dragon and see this and see that. Mm-hmm. Well, man, Jimmy Stewart, he has to know exactly what the eye line is for every one of these apartments. Yeah. And he has to, I don't know how they did it and how, you know, like did, was Hitchcock just talking him through the whole thing? Right. But his performance is stellar. I mean, it's so real. And you never for a moment think he's not seeing what he's seen. Right. Yeah. yeah, that's great. And in comes Lisa and Jeff says, Miss Lonely Heart. Well, at least that's something you'll never have to worry about. Oh, you can see my apartment from here all the way up on 63rd Street? No, not exactly. But we have a little apartment here that's probably about as popular as yours. You remember, of course, Miss Torso, the ballet dancer? She's like a queen bee with her pick of the drones. And we see her in her apartment, dressed beautifully with a bunch of men. Yes, uh, yeah. All paying a lot of attention to her. It's a weird moment, man. It's, it's really weird. weird. I've never been in a scene like that. I've never been in, I've never been in a situation like that. Were there multiple men and one woman? Well, you're part of the multiple men trying to woo the same woman at the same time. I think that happened once, I guess, maybe in my life. And if I can open, if I can, it was me and a couple other friends who were interested in a friend of our sister at a Christmas event at a friend's house. And we all tried to like woo her. And in the end, she went with one of our guys and ended up marrying him and having kids with him. But it was like, congratulations. Yeah, well, I guess to them, yes, yes. But, but <laughs> the three of us, uh, two out of three of us were communicating about the situation that was going on. It's funny. I, I certainly have been in a room with multiple guys and an attractive woman. Yeah. But not, I don't know that it was so open. But they're in her apartment. Yeah. So clearly, this is an attempt by all three of them to woo her. And I guess at that time, maybe that's how it was. I don't know if it is now, but certainly I mean, was. You know, there's the when Harry met Sally thing, you know, a man can't be friends with a woman he finds attractive without the sex thing getting right. 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 It's like anytime you have a bunch of guys and an attractive woman, yeah. like there's going to be some of that is there. I guess you're right. Yeah. Like to what degree it's there. Yeah. I don't know. Well, remember it's in It's a Wonderful Life, those two guys when Violet's older, oh, she sees Jimmy yeah. and they go, we'll wait for you, baby. We'll wait for you, baby. Because they're like, they're they want to be with her. They're desperate to be with her. Two dudes trying to woo her at the same time. Well, to be clear. And she runs off with Jimmy Stewart. I think something we've said many times in the cinephiles. Or to is, be with Stewart. Is guys are horrible. Yeah, yeah, true. And this movie, for the most part, that's what's going on. <laughs> yeah, kind of. Um, yeah, you're right. And, and, and Lisa's response to watching Miss Torso is she says. I'd say she's doing a woman's hardest job, juggling wolves. Lisa is so great at showing you a woman's perspective of everything. Yeah. Her dialogue has been tapped. Well, and in this moment, she's in like a power pose standing yeah. up. She is so strong and powerful in the scene. Mm-hmm. And we see that, oh, now Miss Torso's on the ba- balcony. I hate calling her that, by the way, but that is her, literally her name in the movie. And there's like an older man. And, and Jeff's response is, well, she's done a good job. She's picked the most prosperous man here. Uh, and Lisa's like, no, she's not in love with him or any of them. Yeah. Um, and... And she knows. Yeah, and he says, how can you tell from here? And she says, You said it resembled my apartment, didn't you? Wow. That line. I There's so much depth in this movie. Mm-hmm. Because, and I think, again, this is why it bears watching multiple times, yeah. is that the first time that maybe that kind of drifts past you. But now, if you think about it, it's like, oh, in least she said earlier that she had a cocktail party with a bunch of men yeah. before she came to see Jeff. We know that she's in love with Jeff. 
And so that means she was fending off wolves earlier in the day. And she also said she relates to Miss Lonely Heart, which I think she does, you know? And so it's like, there's all this sadness and pain with her. And is Jeff seeing it? No. Not even a little bit. And then what's the next thing we see is the closed shade on the honeymoon. So again, it's the thought. It's it, we see the lonely woman. We see the woman being mm-hmm. pursued by men who she does not love, and then we see the honeymoon right. again. It's the thoughts within Jeff and Lisa being represented in this scene. Yep. Um, and where do we go from from the honeymoon? We go right to Raymond Bird or the Torvalds. So we go from lonely woman, woman being pursued, the newlywed, mm-hmm. the beginning, the 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 honeymoon period of the relationship to where the relationship has gone bad. Yeah. And this is where he's making her that dinner. He brings it to her. She tosses the flower, <laughs> criticizes him. He leaves. He goes and gets on the phone in the other room. She gets out of the bed. Yeah. She goes towards, she's clearly listening to the conversation. We can't hear it. Mm-hmm. And it almost looks like two TV screens. The way it's framed, yeah. you have these two windows side by side with a surface division between them. Yeah. And some people describe like this movie, this whole movie is like switching channels. Oh, absolutely. You know? Absolutely. Um, From reality show to reality show. Yep. And she realizes something as she's listening and Jeff is watching this. And then she yells at him um, and crosses back into her room and she seems to be mocking him and laughing at him. Now, again... We we don't know who he was talking to. Yeah, yeah. Maybe he was talking to the other woman. Maybe we don't know. Yeah. But at, in this moment, she doesn't seem very nice. No. Um, and now we look up at the composer. And who is in the apartment with the composer? Alfred Hitchcock. Right. In one of his many cameos. <laughs> uh, and this time he is winding a clock or something <laughs> like that. Um and uh, the composer is playing some music, and this is what is going to become the theme of the film. It's very meta. Yeah, very much so. And the theme, of course, is called Lisa. Right. Or Lisa. I can't tell if which, because I think Jimmy Stewart calls her Lisa. Yeah. Um, but other, I think she calls herself Lisa. I'm not sure. Um, maybe another sign that he's not paying Is that a lot. Coleman or Goldman? Well, the G is silent. The G is silent. <laughs> when we're in Europe, it's Goldman or... <laughs> <laughs> still my favorite exchange <laughs> that movie now she loves the music and yeah. says it's enchanting and then she says this is so awful what happens next she says it's almost as if it were being written especially for us and jimmy stewart's response is no wonder he's having so much trouble with it oh, oh boom dude i know what is wrong like listen if you don't like the woman dump her yeah like what are you doing all yeah, right like, don't just sit here and be mean to her. Right. But then again, she's staying for the treatment. Why is she staying to be treated badly as well? It goes both ways. Because she's Miss Lonely Hearts. Well, right. right you know? Right. Uh, and then she, she says, and you see her reaction to this. And then she yeah. says, at least you can say the, can't say the dinner isn't right. And he looks down at the dinner, and it is lobster. Yeah. Which is exactly what he commented on. Can you see me eating lobster mm-hmm. earlier in the film? Mm-hmm. And he says, Lisa... It's perfect. As always. <laughs> As and again, she feels it. Yeah. She feels it. And later on, now we're kind of having the fight. If you're saying all this because you don't want to tell me the truth, because you're hiding something from me, then maybe I can understand. I'm, I'm not hiding anything. It's just that It I'm doesn't not... make sense. What's so different about it here from over there or any place you go that one person couldn't live in both places just as easily? And the basic fight is about 
He wants to go do what he wants to do, and she wants him to stay here. And she's talking over him a lot at the beginning. What is it but traveling from one place to another taking pictures? This is like being a tourist on an endless vacation. Okay, now that's your opinion. You're entitled to it. Now let me give you my It's side. ridiculous to say that it can only be done by a special private little group of anointed people. Which is not a good thing to say to a professional photographer. True, true. It's like you're traveling around taking pictures like a tourist or something. <laughs> and she, he tries to explain. She interrupts. Then he says, shut up for a minute. <sighs> I made a simple statement. A, a, a true statement, but I'll, I can back it up if you just shut up for a minute. And then she keeps talking. She says, But if your opinion is as rude as your manner, I don't think I care to hear it. Oh, come on, now simmer down. Yeah. You, I can't fit in he, here. You can't fit in there. I mean, according to you, people should be born, live, and die on the same spot. Shut up! Not cool. Nope. And now his thing is like, have you ever eaten fish heads, which she hasn't? Mm -hmm. Have you ever flown at 15,000 feet trying to keep warm in like a C 17, which of course she hasn't? Have you been shot at? Have you been in the jungle? Of course, she hasn't done any of these things. Right. Those high heels, they'll be great in the jungle, and the nylons and those six ounce lawns. Three. All right, three. Well, they'll make a big hit in Finland just before you freeze to death. I like her response, by the way, is Well, if there's one thing I know, it's how to wear the proper clothes. <laughs> That's a great line. And, you know, they keep having this argument about what their lives are supposed to be. Mm -hmm. By the way, some of this is based on a photographer named Robert Kappa, who was in a relationship with Ingrid Bergman. Oh, wow. And he wouldn't, didn't want to stop doing his world traveling photography. And that is why their relationship ended. Yeah. Again, Ingrid Bergman. <laughs> and we finally get to, you can't stay here and I can't go with you. And he says, I don't think it would be the right thing. You don't think either one of us could ever change? Right now, it doesn't seem so. Now, this is breakup talk. Yeah. Right? This is a breakup. Yeah. And she says goodbye. Yeah. Goodbye, Jeff. Well, you mean goodnight. I mean what I said. Yeah, man. Strong statement there. That's a breakup. Yep. Right? That and, is a breakup. And, and, and what's funny is he didn't, again, he wasn't. I will say man enough right. to break up with her. Right. He's trying to get her to break up yes, with him. Yes, exactly. She's, he's poking and poking and poking and yep. uh, being denigrating to these visions she has of the future and criticizing them because she wants to he wants to drive her away without having to be the bad guy. And then, and then still, and this is what's so awful, the next thing he said is, couldn't we, you know, just keep things the status quo? Right. What does that line mean? Well, obviously... He, it's comfortable the relationship he has with her now at this level. The fact that she wants to get to the go to the next level with him because they've been together for God knows how long, yeah. uh, it is not what he wants supposedly, and it unsettles him. And he's just happy having things perfectly placed in certain uh, places in his world so that he can function running off and doing whatever. He wants the world to work in a certain way the way he wants it to work so that he can selfishly keep being who he's being at this time in his life. This is, seems like a classic, you know, why buy the cow when you can get the milk for free, which is a horrible, horrible, you know, yeah. old expression. Right. But basically he's like, can't we keep fooling around, but I have no commitments or responsibilities to you whatsoever? Exactly. Like, why can't we, you know, and then I can go and do whatever I want and you mm -hmm. just have to wait for me? It's the immature uh, rantings of a child. Yes. My note, by the way, after that line in my notes is asshole. <laughs> <laughs> well, when am I going to see you again? And she says, not for a long time. Mm -hmm. Pause. At least not until tomorrow night. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. It's so sad. Yeah. It's just, it's very sad. 
And she leaves. And what does he do? He turns around to look at his neighbors. Of course. Um, TV's on. And then there's a scream. Exactly. And there's a scream and broken glass. And he hears it, and we fade to black. Mm-hmm. Now it's the middle of the night. It's thunder. It's raining. There's that couple sleeping on the balcony. They get caught in the rain, which is some great <laughs> comedy as they kind of stumble in through the window. Yeah. And Jeff smiles. And then they fall through the window. The guy falls out of the window, and Jeff laughs. So we get a little bit of our comedy. And then he looks down, and Raymond Burr is leaving the apartment with a big, heavy, silver briefcase. Yeah. By the way, important tip to all you filmmakers out there. Put something in the briefcase. <laughs> I've seen so many times where they're carrying that piece of luggage and they just like lift it up. Yeah, it's yeah. like, no, make it heavy. You know, it's the same reason like when you have your character's drink, put some liquid in the cup. Yeah. Things look different. And there's definitely something heavy in that briefcase. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he watches him walk out, turn the corner, looks at his watch. Again, classic Hitchcock storytelling. It's 1.55 in the morning. Yeah. Fade out, fade in. It's now 2.34 in the morning. Raymond Burr returns. Same time the composer has come home drunk, knocks the, his score off his piano and immediately falls down. Um, and Raymond Burr goes back into his apartment and then is leaving again with a, with a heavy suitcase. Jeff thinks, watches him walks into the street. Jeff thinks some more and we fade out. Yeah. Now he's asleep. He wakes up, looks across, sees closed windows, takes a drink. Light turns on and in Miss Torso's apartment. And she is forcibly saying goodnight to someone who is trying to get in through the door. Yeah. Scary. It's unsettling, yeah. Yeah. And again, we have this thing. It was women as victims, Mm -hmm. which goes throughout Hitchcock films. But particularly in this one, I think, we're really seeing that. Um, And he watches her. Then he looks down to see Raymond Burr return and then back up to Miss Torso, who's in the bathroom. It's a very, very intimate moment mm-hmm. that he's spying on. Yeah. Um, and then, the, and of course, we see that Raymond Burr's apartment is right next to Miss Torso's apartment. And he goes into his apartment and Jeff falls asleep and fades out. Come, comes back on. It's early morning. The camera pans off sleeping Jeff. And this is really important. Yeah. He does not see the next thing that happens. We see Raymond Burr leaving with a woman in black. Um, and the camera comes back to Jeff to show that he is still sleeping. Again, this is really, this is the tight Hitchcock mm-hmm. story, storytelling. Next morning, um, our sunbather is asked, is sculpting some weird <laughs> modern art piece of sculpture. Someone asked what it's, what it is. And she says it's called hunger. Miss mm. um, Torso is dancing. And now we see another little important bit of this piece, which is the wife from the people that were sleeping on that fire escape is lowering down a dog in a basket. Yeah. It's a great little bit. And it gets out of the basket to go do its business. What a great... I think that's just kind of awesome how they train that dog. Right? It knows what to do. And it gets back in the basket. Puts the lotion in the basket. does put the lotion in the basket. (laughs) (laughs) I got your dog, mister. (laughs) Um, And we're back to Stella massaging... Jimmy Stewart, and she's a little pissed off because it's very clear they stepped, slept in the wheelchair yep. rather than the bed. Mm-hmm. Must have been watching out that window for hours. Yeah, I was. What are you going to do if one of them catches you? Yeah, it depends which one. No, Miss Torso, for example. You keep your mind off her. It's creepy. That's a creepy kind of thing to say. Well, she sure is the eat, drink, and be merry girl. Now, last night, he literally saw a dude trying to force his way into her yep. apartment. yep. And now he's describing her as the eat, drink, be merry girl. Mm-hmm. Like his image of her, despite what he saw last night, is still just the 
She's a party girl. Like when Lisa said the thing about her fending off wolves, he did not hear that. Nope. Nope. He's seen her just that same way. He, and because he's been a wolf. Well, and this is why I say this is not 2018. Mm-hmm. That's Hitchcock's intention. That is very clear to me. Oh, the right. No, of course. You know what I mean? Of yeah, yeah, yeah. No, good um, point. Uh, and Stella's like, stay away from her. She's going to end up fat, sad, alcoholic, which is mm-hmm. <laughs> brutal. Yeah. Uh, and we hear that Miss Lonely Hearts drank herself to sleep again. Poor soul. Oh, well. Maybe one day she'll find her happiness. Well, some man will lose his. What a dick. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, this is who we... Right? This is what's what makes the film still so topical. How many of us watch other people's lives and judge by snapshots judged by uh watching them interact in certain situations or watching their reactions on twitter or on instagram or any kind of social media and you go oh i figured this person out this is the person they're like this and because i know because from my judgment i know like it's the vanity of our own judgments the vanity of our own analysis that uh, motivates making offhand comments like that and thinking they're funny I, 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 well, and what's interesting is, well, two things. One is I couldn't agree more. It's so often that you see someone, they say a thing on Twitter or on Facebook mm. or they, they have a quote in the news or something and like, oh, that person is a racist, a troll, yeah. a sexist, uh, you know, homophobe or whatever it is. It's like, right. look, you don't know that guy, you know? And, and once Girl. it's, yeah, yeah. And once it's out there, like it's very hard, you know, people's lives are ruined by mm-hmm. this one, you know, there's that um, book, So You've Been Publicly Shamed by John. Oh, yeah, that came out recently. Yeah, yeah it's 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 really upsetting. Yeah. It's a really upsetting book. And there's a story in it, sorry, it's a brief digression, hmm. about the woman who got on the plane yes. to South Africa. South Africa, yeah. And she leaves Heathrow Airport and she tweets to her like 32 Twitter followers going off to South Africa, going off to Africa. I hope I don't get AIDS. Just kidding. I'm white. Jesus. Which her, and I really believe this, her intention was to make fun of a person that would say that horrible joke. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? Like that was her, she was mocking yeah. this ridiculous idea that some people might feel that way. She leaves, she's on the plane, she lands from the plane, she is the number one trending thing on Twitter, mm-hmm. she's been fired from her job, she yep. has 20,000 messages on her machine, her life has completely fallen apart, and essentially that woman has never recovered. Yeah. You know, like, the, you know, the in the book, checks in with her like seven years later, mm-hmm. she still has, you know... Trouble finding work everywhere she goes. Yeah. You do a Google search for her. That is the first thing that comes up. Yep. So she is a well-known racist for making this. And of course, that was a bad joke. Yes. You shouldn't have said that. Yeah. It was not. But she thought she was saying it to her 32 Twitter friends. Mm-hmm. It's like all of us have said things that we shouldn't have said. Sure. You know, and that will haunt her forever. The other thing I was going to say is that here he is making these judgments about these people and many of them incorrect. Yeah. And it's also a movie about this one judgment he makes about this guy that is correct. Yeah. But it really could just as easily be incorrect. Yes. And that's what we get to right now because now he's kind of talking about this salesman who's splitting up. Maybe he's splitting up with his wife and what was he doing with his sample case out in the middle of the night? What could he be selling to which Stellar's <laughs> response is? Flashlights. Yeah. <laughs> She's so funny. I love that. And Stella thinks, oh no, he's that coward is going to run out on her. Mm-hmm. Um, and Jeff's response to that is sometimes it's worse to stay than to run. Oh, there you go. Well, I mean, look, there are times for marriages to end. Yes, of course. You know, I mean, that's just reality. But his his view of marriage mm-hmm. is really represented by the Torvalds. Yeah. That's what, and we see it when he looks from place to place, is he sees sex with Miss Torso, mm-hmm. honeymoon with the honeymooners, and then actual marriage with the Torvalds. Right. That's what marriage is like in his mind. 
Uh, and this morning, all the shades are drawn, so we can't see anything of them. And except Stella says, well, looks like he's up now. And he turns, and there's Raymond Burr. And immediately, Jeff goes, get back, get back, and pulls back into the shadows. It's kind of scary, because Raymond Burr is looking out the window. Yeah. And he analyzes what his look is. He says, it's no ordinary look. That's a kind of a look a man gives when he's afraid somebody might be watching him. Wow. And it does look that way. Mm -hmm. Certainly does look that way. And the salesman looks down. And uh, Jeff comes forward to see what he's interested in. And what do we see? The dog Mm -hmm. sniffing at that flower bed. Yep. Little details. Uh, Stella tries to say goodbye. He goes, "Uh (laughs) uh-huh. And she says, don't sleep in the chair again. And he says, "Uh uh-huh. Stella, take those binoculars out of the case and bring them here, will you? Trouble. I can smell it. Glad when they crack that cast and I can get out of here. And he says, "Uh (laughs) uh-huh. And he pulls up the binoculars and now we go into the closer shot and we see it's irised, which means there's a little black round Mm. circle around it, which really goes back to the silent film era, but also shows that we're looking through the binoculars. Yeah. Um, And we see that uh, Raymond Burr is reloading his sample case. Oh, and I should have said before, he was cleaning his sample case. (laughs) Interesting. And Jeff thinks that's interesting, too. And I think this is the moment that he first has the thought. Uh-huh. I think this is where it first well, it's hits been, him. It's, it's been... He's, building. Yeah, yeah, the pieces are there, and he hasn't quite put them together. And now he goes, huh. Mm. And now he goes, man, I really need to see this closer. Mm-hmm. So what does he do? He roll, wheels over to a drawer, pulls out a big, long telephoto lens, yep. attaches it to his camera, rests it on his knee, and now we're into the poster. Yeah. Now we see Jimmy Stewart looking through that long lens, and what does he see of Raymond Burr? He's got some newspaper, he's got a little saw, and a nasty-looking carving knife yeah. that he's wrapping up. Oh, my God. Yep. He lowers the lens, he raises it up. We see Raymond Burr stretch, yawn, and lie down on a couch. Yep. And Jeff thinks, and we fade out. Again, this is the master storyteller. Yep. Yeah. I think I really, and that's, I, th- I think I said it during our uh, Hitchcock episode, but I think Spielberg is studies at the feet of Hitchcock. Oh, that's great. You know, like yeah. that, that's because Spielberg is today's master storyteller. Mm-hmm. Um, the composer is, you know, up and is touching his piano. We pan up to the family. We don't stay at the family. No. Interesting enough, the happy family is the one thing Jeff is not interested in spying on. Oh, of course, there's no drama there. Yeah. Well, right. and it's not what he wants to see. Exactly. It's like he his view of the world is that marriage is the Torvalds. Mm-hmm. It can't go be the happy family. Well, I wonder if this is Hitchcock's jab also at people who wanted to see these happy, feel-good movies. And <laughs> Maybe. And he's showing you the, what people actually really want to see, and that's the drama and conflict. We hear whistling, and this is often in this film is that sound leads us to vision. So he hears a sound, so he turns and looks out the window, and that leads us to see the woman whistling for her dog. The dog oh, yeah. runs back into the basket to go up. Very important. Uh, Miss Lonely Heart is, is sewing. Miss Torso is brushing her hair. The sculptor is sculpting. The newlywed shade is still closed. Mm. Um, and the camera pans up to Jeff and Lisa kissing. Mm-hmm. And the first thing she says is, what does a girl have to do for you to notice her? 
I mean, it's Grace <laughs> Kelly, dude. <laughs> like, either make out with Grace Kelly or don't. Right. I find this very frustrating. <laughs> Clearly, I know. I don't really. I really do think she is among the most beautiful women, particularly in this movie, ever Undeniable. on film. Undeniable. Yeah. It's an undeniable thought. But I really wonder. It's like Hitchcock giving Jimmy Stewart directions. Like, wait, you want me to do what? Mm. You want me to kiss Grace Kelly and ignore her <laughs> simultaneously? That's tough. Yeah. Well, if she's pretty enough, she doesn't have to go anywhere. She just has to be. Which, by the way, is totally untrue for Jimmy Stewart's character. Mm. We're going to see later on she does have to do something for her. It will be her doing stuff that right. does get him to notice right. her. And then she actually says, pay attention to me. Well, I'm, I'm not exactly on the other side of the room. Uh, mm, your mind is. You know, and I want a man, I want all of you. I mean, she can't be more obvious oh, yeah. than she is being. Of course. And in fact, this film is quite clear on its on sex. Mm -hmm. I mean, in addition to him spying on Miss Torso, and we have the newlyweds behind the curtain, yeah. and we have Miss Lonely Hearts, we know what she wants. Yeah. But our main character, Grace Kelly, she's clearly wants sex yep i mean there's i mean she brought him to 21 and lobster dinner the night before yeah. now she's back again making out with him and it says when i want a man i want all of him mm -hmm. and he asked don't you ever have any problems her response is i have one now and he says so do i mm. doesn't actually care about what her problem is right right uh and finally she says tell me about it and he goes into why would a man leave his apartment three times on a rainy night with a suitcase and come back three times she relates it to the wife. Maybe he likes the way his wife welcomes him home. Mm. You know? Because that's what she wants. Always thinking the best. Yeah, right. You know? Exactly. Um, and he says, not this salesman's wife. And she says, well, maybe working at home is more interesting. Again, a reference to sex. Yeah. What's, what's interesting about a butcher knife and a small saw wrapped in newspaper? Nothing's huh? Kevin. And now we find out that he hasn't been in the wife's room all day. In fact, he hasn't been in the wife's room since we heard the scream. Yeah. There's something terribly wrong. And I'm afraid it's with me. And she gets up. Like, finally, she gets the point. Yeah. You know? Uh. And again, this is where I just keep going like, dude, if you don't love her, break up with her. <laughs> what do you do? You know, like the last time he said, can't we keep it status quo? Well, status quo is torturing her. Yeah. It is. It's really horrible. Yeah. She smokes, and he looks right out at Miss Torso, yeah. who's in a kind of sexy pose in the bed. Which, again, not cool. Like, you're with your yeah. woman, and you're just going to stare at some woman across, you know, right. <laughs> in some bed. Right. And he's just going through his thought process, and his line is, That'd be a terrible job to tackle. And he doesn't, she doesn't know what he's talking about. Yeah. Just how would you start to cut up a human body? All right, she's done. <laughs> she turns on the light and says, you're beginning to scare me. Yeah. And then he goes, she's coming back. And there is Raymond Burr. And he comes back with a rope. Oh, God. I mean, how... How obvious do you have to be? Yeah. Which, of course, later we find out has nothing to do with the body. Exactly. It's ironic. But it sure looks like it's but something scary. It's a great misdirection by uh, Hitchcock. Yeah. Jeff grabs his binoculars. And she grabs him by the wheelchair and turns him around and says, if you could only see yourself, this is diseased. Mm -hmm. Which, she's right. 
Totally right. Yeah. I mean, the fact that he ends up being right about the murder does not change the fact that for six weeks he's been spying on his neighbors. Yeah. yeah. What do you think I consider it recreation? Yes, we do think that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like we're I mean, fairly it's clear. Pretty much, yeah. That's what you've been doing. You can let it hurry. You can't let us have been watching you do it. Yeah. And, and she lays down the law. If you don't stop this, I'm out of here. And he's trying to explain about the wife. She was an invalid, constant care, but he hasn't been in to see him. Right. Um, and she goes, well, maybe she died. And he goes, okay, if she died, where's the doctor? Where's the ambulance? Yeah. She And now we bring up the knives and the saw and the ropes. Um, and again, and she shoots it down. Lots of people have knives and saws and ropes around their houses. Not, and not lots the... of men don't speak to their wives all day. Lots of wives nag and men hate them and trouble starts. But very, very few of them end up in murder, if that's what you think. All perfectly logical. And then she goes on like a murderer wouldn't be parading around with his knives and his saws. He would hide these things. And and really, I really think I would love to see a different movie where you do exactly this movie, Mm -hmm. except there is no murder. Because... Because everything that is said, like by Doyle, the the detective, is correct. We don't know what went on. Right. This woman, all the evidence that they have is totally circumstantial. Mm-hmm. There could be explanations for it. And really, this is a guy who is completely voyeuring, peeping on his neighbors in ways that are quite invasive at certain points. Yeah. Plus, he has a tendency, because of what we saw at the beginning of the movie in his conversation with his boss to seek the most dramatic of situations. Yep. So he could be the one creating this whole thing that's happening yeah. because that's what he's used to covering. That's what he's used to seeing. So his wild imaginings uh, may be what's fueling what he's doing. And I think that's one of the great things about this movie, Steve, is that you think he's right, but these other people coming in have validity totally. about their opinions and their feelings about what this guy's doing. Because we really don't see very much. Right. Why, for all you know, there's probably something a lot more sinister going on behind those windows. Pointing to the clothes shades and the newlyweds. <laughs> His response is, no comment. Yeah. It's a funny bit. And then she stands up. Mm-hmm. And she looks. And he looks at her. And then he turns, grabs the pair of binoculars. And in this moment, usually in Hitchcock films, we know more than the characters know. Yep. We're ahead of them. In this moment, they're ahead of us. Mm-hmm. They've seen something. We don't know what it is. Finally, we do see it. And what do we see? A big trunk tied up with those ropes. Yep. Lisa turns to him and says, Let's start from the beginning again, Jeff. Tell me everything you saw and what you think it means. Fade out. That is a major turn in our story. Yep. Is that suddenly someone else believes him. Yeah. She's now on board. So not only is Lisa on board, she's willing to do a little legwork for Jeff. This is madness. I mean, this first one's not so bad, which is she's just gone down to find out the name, uh, uh, you know, his name and what the actual address is. Mm -hmm. Not not too bad. No. It's going to get a lot worse. Yeah. And he says, thank you. And she asked for her next assignment. Mm -hmm. Here's my question. Yeah. Is she, A, just really intrigued by this murder thing and the mystery and wanting to solve it? Mm -hmm. Or B, knowing that he wants a woman who can go with him on adventures, deciding to go on an adventure to show him that she can be the kind of woman he wants her to be? Jesus, I've never gotten that far. Um or a combo. Yeah, maybe. Like, look, this is the ju- this is what we do on the cinephiles is our our analysis, our objective opinion, what we think is happening. Um, so for me, I think this is why she's with him. Even with the abuse, she likes that he's not a stay at home guy. She yeah. likes that he's not 
he's got these world adventures and thrilling things because she probably doesn't go and do much other than what she does there in New York being part of the world that she's in. So now this is a way for her to be part of his world a little bit and see what's and them working together. It's also a way for her to be with him more uh, where he's more alive in the situation and paying attention to her and that kind of stuff. Right. Yeah. Right or wrong. It just feels like that's what's happening. Yeah. To me, to me, it's clearly both like it. Like, I think this does turn her on. Mm -hmm. I think she is excited about this and about the mystery. I think she is not happy in her life as much as it is fabulous and amazing. So I think this is really, but I think also in her mind, she also knows like, okay, I had no luck seducing him with the lobster and 21 Mm. and kissing and my beautiful dresses. And like, he's clearly interested in this thing. All the other tactics that have worked with other men are not working with would work easy. I mean, Grace Kelly shows up in my door with lobster. Sure. Sure. Honestly, she didn't need the lobster. (laughs) She could have like a, a pack of Doritos and a Sprite. And I'd be like, okay. Um, Sure, in sweatpants. <laughs> I love sweatpants. Right. Um, and she asks, because she still wants to know what's going on. She asks, what's he doing right now? Yeah. And he's just sitting there. And we see, what do we see of him? Just the tiny light of a cigar in the dark. Yeah. Great. Great. Next day, he's calling his buddy Doyle, who is a detective on the phone. <laughs> Doyle is great. And saying, like, no, the, I, the, you know, Doyle asks, is important. It's like, well, if nothing important, just a neighborhood murder. Yeah. And he's such, he's not nice. He's not even nice to this guy. He's just trying to throw a little business your way. <laughs> I figured a good detective would jump at the chance of something to detect. And Doyle says he'll stop by, and in comes Stella serving him breakfast. Mm-hmm. And she's obviously already kind of on board with this, too, because she yeah. goes... Just where do you suppose he cut her up? Of course, the bathtub. That's the only place where he could have washed away the blood. As she says this, he is trying to eat a slice of bacon. <laughs> that immediately puts him off his bacon. Yeah. And she, and she now he's drinking some coffee. And the next thing he said is, she says is, "He better get that trunk out of there before it starts to leak." He does a little spit take. <laughs> I love Hitchcock's little bits of comedy. Well, they're very Shakespearean, right? When Shakespeare would throw in those those uh, uh, moments of comedy, those uh, comic relief characters in the middle of all this tragedy, like in Macbeth. Like, there's always his dark tragedies always have this like comic relief situation. It's so funny. And then his next again, his mental thought process is very clear. He goes from Miss Lonely Hearts to Miss Torso mm-hmm. up to the newlywed screen. So he thinks of sex with Miss Torso. Goes to look at where the actual sex is happening, mm-hmm. and now the shade opens, yeah. and the man leans out, and the wife calls him back in, mm-hmm. and he and he and get he a does great not look, re- he looks exhausted. He looks exhausted. Yeah. Well, again, it will end. What's going on with him and Lisa? Right. She is the aggressor sexually, and he is the resistor. Yeah. And now we see the representation of that with our newlyweds. Yeah. Uh, and now we're back to Raymond Burr, and there's some delivery guys coming to pick up the trunk. <laughs> He's got a two-day growth of his beard. By the way, his beard is just black, which just doesn't doesn't quite match that white hair. Mm-hmm. Um, and 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 we're upset because we're hoping that Doyle, the detective, would get here before the trunk. And Stella goes, "Well, I'm going to go get the name on the trunk." Oh, she runs down. Yeah. We see uh, Raymond Burr make a phone call, which Jeff can tell is long distance. And we see the trunk driving away on a truck and a great shot of Stella in the long lens pointing and shaking her head. No, (laughs) she didn't get to see it. That's right. Now we have Tom Doyle, our detective. Uh, The actor's name is Wendell Corey. And again, he just rips apart everything. Oh, yeah. Like you didn't see 
you didn't see a killing. You didn't see a body. How do you know there was a murder? And he's kind of explaining about knives and trunks and weird sounds. And, and Doyle's buying none of it. This is a stupid way to commit a murder. Yeah. The stuff he is doing stu- is stupid. We have morons throughout the city who are way tougher murders to solve than this. Right. Why is he still sitting around the apartment? You know, all of this, he goes, there's probably a very normal explanation. The wife took a trip. His wife was sick in bed. Which we saw the wife get up and yell at him. Yeah, yeah. It's like, she's not that sick. No. Uh, but Doyle does say, okay, I'm going to poke around. Um, and, and the th- next thing he says is really interesting. He says, no sense in you getting a lot of publicity. Hmm. He's actually trying to protect Jeff. Of course. Because if Jeff makes an open, stupid accusation and it's not true, it could ruin him. So he's yeah. like, no, no, this is dumb. Let me poke a little around quietly. Yeah. And as he's leaving, he says, have you had any headaches lately? <laughs> Jeff says, not until you showed up. <laughs> Again, he's dick. Yeah. This guy came down to help him. Yeah. Um, I mean, and, and look, in Jeff's defense, he has been sitting in the same place for six weeks. I mean, you do get irritable, thing. right? Yeah, you yeah. get irritable. Yeah, cabin fever. Um, and Doyle says, well, the headache will roll, wear off along with the hallucinations. <laughs> and he walks out, and we hear a dog whining. And again, sound leads us to have the camera and Jeff look out the window, yeah. and there's that dog digging at the flowers. And Thorvald comes out. And he sees the dog, and he very nicely, I think, actually pushes the dog away. Mm -hmm. He is not mean to the dog. Not yet. And Jeff watches that, and then he watches Doyle, who's looking around. And now Doyle is back in the apartment with some info. He says, okay, they had a six-month lease. It's five and a half months out. The guy is a drinker, but he's he's not a drunk. He sells costume jewelry. And that the wife and the husband left the apartment at 6 a.m. Which, of course, is we saw him leave with a woman at 6 a.m. Yeah. And we saw that Jeff was asleep then. Who said they left then? Who left where? The Thorwald at 6 o'clock in the morning. Oh, the building superintendent and two tenants. Flat statements, no hesitation. They jived with the letter. And now Jeff's like, well, they were bribed. Or he's trying to knock down those yeah. theories. Yeah. Um, because he is convinced of what he saw. Mm-hmm. What do you do? Are you interested in solving this case or in making me look foolish? Well, it's possible both. And again, Doyle is cutting it up, cutting him apart. And he's like, well, just go search the apartment. Mm-hmm. And he's like, no, there's a constitution and there are laws. <laughs> I can't do that. And he goes, well, what do you need to search the apartment? It's like, well, we need some evidence. He goes, well, go get, go get a search warrant. Right. And he goes, yeah, I'm going to go to the judge and say, your honor, I have a friend who's an amateur sleuth. They'll throw the penal code out in my face. And it's six <laughs> volumes. What do you need before you can search? Tell me, now, what do you need? Bloody footsteps leading up to the door? One thing I don't need is heckling. You call me and ask for help. I'm behaving like a taxpayer. Yep. I love that line. Mm -hmm. And he asks, how did we stand each other in the war? And then the last thing he says is, oh, by the way, there was a postcard in his mailbox from Anna. Uh, uh, Is that that, um, Anna? Is that who I think it is? Mrs. Thorwald. And when he exits, he says, anything you need, Jeff? And Jeff says, you might send me a good detective. Oh. Yeah, he's an asshole. Yeah. Well, and, and this is to back to your earlier point, this is why you cast Jimmy Stewart. Mm-hmm. Is Jimmy Stewart is among the most likable people in film history. Of course. And so we do like him. But but when you kind of objectively look at his actions in this film. No, no. No. We bad. default to try to understand him yeah. and forgive him for being a jerk. Yeah. And then we like get, Grace does. yeah, exactly, exactly right. 
And then we get a massive, massive itch <laughs> as an opera aria is rising to a climax. And again, the satisfaction of him scratching that itch with that back scratcher is <laughs> awesome. It's night. He's got a sandwich with his telephoto lens. Yeah. Now this is fully, you know, watching TV and, and, yeah. and, and eating dinner. Yeah. We see the dog go down. We see Miss Lonely Heart getting ready. Bright green dress. She's checking her makeup. Yeah. I love, by the way, she takes a drink. She picks up her glasses. She puts on the glasses to fix her makeup, mm -hmm. then takes the glasses off. Yeah. Because she, she, need, she clearly needs them and doesn't see well. Yeah. But she has to can't wear her glasses when she's going out. Right. Um, and she walks towards the door, pours herself one more drink before going out, and she goes out. Up in the composer's apartment, a party is starting. The, a dance teacher is with Miss Torso. We see Miss Lonely Heart on the street. Mm -hmm. um, the song that's playing from the party upstairs is Waiting for My True Love to Appear. Oof. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, she walks into a restaurant. Fortunately, there's a table right in the window, directly <laughs> centered in the alley where Jeff can look out with his telephoto lens and watch her yeah. sit down at the table. And we know what she's out for. She is out to pick up a man. Yep. And just as we're watching her sit at this restaurant, who walks into frame? But Torvald, Raymond Burr, with a box in his hand from the laundry. And now Jeff is very interested, mm -hmm. follows him back up to his apartment, where he opens up the laundry box, pulls out some, some, some clean laundered shirts, pulls a bunch of shirts out on the drawer, and we realize that he is starting packing. Yep. Jeff reacts calls up Doyle's house. The, his wife answers, and he's like, it's really important. Have him call me. Mm -hmm. Thorwald is pulling out tonight. And I like at the very end of the conversation. He's like, no, he'll know who Thorwald is. Don't worry. It's a man. <laughs> no, so, Jesus. So he's telling the guy's wife yeah. that he's not calling him about her about an affair. Yeah. Um, and then we see Thorwald sit down. He's dialing the phone, again, long distance, and he has a purse, and he's pulling jewelry out of the purse, yeah. including... Two or three rings, one of which looks like an engagement ring, and one of which definitely looks like a wedding ring. Yeah. Up at the composer's apartment, more and more uh, partygoers are showing up. Mm -hmm. um, and now Lisa enters, just like Miss Lonely Hearts, wearing a beautiful green dress. Yeah. A more beautiful green dress, I would say. And he doesn't really notice her because he's telling her that Thorwald's ready to pull out for good. Um and explains that he, about the, the, the clothes being laid out on the bed, explains about the alligator handbag, describes the jewelry. Um, that he, And then he says he's asking for advice over the phone. Right. How does he know he's asking for advice? I don't know. He doesn't know that. No. And he's talking to someone who's not his wife. How does he know he's talking to someone who's not right. his wife? Right. He doesn't know that either. And we see Raymond Burr turn off the lights and exit. And, of course, Lisa's like, okay, we can put the lights on now. He's like, no, no. Let's wait. And they realize that he's maybe turned the other way. And they finally turn it on. Uh, she crosses around the room, turning on the lights. She's been thinking about this. Yeah. And this new information, she's fully on board at this point. Oh, yeah. A woman has a favorite handbag. And it always hangs on her bedpost where she can get at it easily. And then all of a sudden, she goes away on a trip and leaves it behind. Why? Because she didn't know she was going on a trip. And where she's going, she wouldn't need the handbag. And that jewelry. Women don't keep their jewelry in a purse getting all twisted and scratched and tangled up. Well, they hide in their husband's clothes? They do not. This is a great line. I, this whole this whole thing she talks about is brilliant. I totally agree, and I also think it's all just speculation. Because we don't know that's her favorite handbag. Mm. That could be her least favorite handbag. Could be. You know, 
And no, not all women actually do leave their handbag on the bedpost. I love the speech. No, but the idea of having a favorite handbag. Yes. That's very true. Why, a woman going anywhere but the hospital would always take makeup, perfume, and jewelry. Now, this was an invalid. She could be going to the hospital. You know? Yeah. Um, that's where it's like, you know, you you base your logic on a bunch of like, she was. he's calling long distance, not talking to his yeah. wife, getting advice. That's her favorite handbag. These are all things you would do. Yeah. Yeah. But now she's completely convinced, and this is when Jimmy Stewart tells her, well, Doyle says he left with a woman at nine, at 6 a.m. Well, I have a pat rebuttal for Mr. Doyle. That couldn't have been Mrs. Thorwald, or I don't know women. Well, what about the witnesses? We'll agree they saw a woman, but she was not Mrs. Thorwald. That is, not yet. <laughs> so now, with a very subtle line, Lisa has said the plot yeah he's having an affair with another woman that's who he he left with yeah and what does jimmy stewart do when she does this he says come here yeah and she does this beautiful spin and ends up in his lap yep so the first moment that he behaves romantically towards her right is when she is fully on board in his adventure yeah that's now suddenly he is interested yep. in a way he was never interested before. Mm -hmm. But he's still going, man, I wish Doyle would, would show up. And her response is, don't rush him. We have all night. <laughs> we have all what? Night. I'm going to stay with you. Now, we just saw Miss Lonely Heart mm -hmm. go decide to make a big move to get a man, to get dressed up, mm -hmm. to put on the right. I think that's exactly what Lisa has done. Mm. She is Miss mm, Lonely Heart. Okay. What did she do? She, she they had a they had a big fight mm -hmm. last we saw them. She said, you know, I'm not going to see you again until tomorrow night. Right. You know, and now she went home. She thought about it all day. I mean, she did have this little adventure before looking up the address, mm -hmm. and now she has packed a bag with her negligee and decided that she's going to spend the night with a man. Right. Which in 1954, yeah, this is a big, yeah. big move, and he thinks it's a big move. Well, you'll have to clear that with my landlord. Yeah. Which is interesting that this this was a world where you weren't allowed to have yeah. a visitor. Over, over. I guess, without yeah. letting the landlord know. Yeah. yeah. And then the next thing he says. Oh, it's very nice, but I just have one bed. And she says, if you say anything else, I'll stay tomorrow, too. <laughs> right. <laughs> what a fascinating threat. Yep. I won't be able to give you any pajamas. And she smiles and she gets up and she picks up her very tiny suitcase that is very elegant and makes a comment on traveling with one suitcase and opens it up. And there is a very beautiful pink nightgown. Mm -hmm. And now what do we hear at that moment? But Lisa from the composer, the song yeah. with her name. Of course, we don't really know that's what the name of it is. There's that song again. And the party up there at that composer's is just raging and she listening to the song says where does a man get inspiration to write a song like that <laughs> jeff's response well he gets it from the landlady once a month <laughs> classy yeah and then grace kelly l sits down in a pose lounging that is just like a perfect perfect oh yeah pose. she says i wish i could be creative oh sweetie you are you have a great talent for creating difficult situations. I do. Sure. Staying here all night, uninvited. Mm. Not welcoming. Right. Um, and her response, which I love, is surprise is the most important element of attack. And then we talk about the Girl Friday that's always, uh, when a person's having an adventure, there's always the Girl Friday. Mm -hmm. And Jeff's response is, But he never ends up marrying her. Oh, yeah. That's strange. 
weird. Not cool, man. And she says she's going to slip into something more comfortable. And he wants some coffee. Yeah. And what does he? What do we see then? He looks out the window. And again, we see the groom of the newlyweds and getting called back by the wife. Again, the tension of the wife being the aggressor Mm -hmm. in the sexual situation, directly mirroring what's happening in his life at that moment. Um, And who walks in? Because apparently we don't have locks on doors. (laughs) Is in walks Doyle. Doyle, yep. And the first thing he notices when he comes in is he hears Grace Kelly singing and he sees her shadow. And Jeff sees him seeing this. Yeah, he looks up at the party that's packed where the composer's uh, apartment. He looks down at the dark window of the Torvalds, and finally asks Jeff what he's got. And Jeff explains that he's packed and ready to leave. And Lisa enters with some brandy sniffers. Snifters. Doyle just stares at her as you would. There's an introduction, and Lisa's first thing that she says is, "We think Thorvald's guilty." We, yeah. yeah. And what does Tom see in that moment? The suitcase with the nightgown. Yep. Um, and I love, and of course, Jeff see because again, this is all about seeing things. So he sees the suitcase with the nightgown. Jeff sees him seeing the suitcase mm-hmm. with the nightgown, and he says, "Careful, Tom." <laughs> in a very sort of warning voice. Yep. The phone rings, and it's for Doyle. He picks it up and gives a sort of "Yeah, yeah, got it, okay, thanks," and hangs up. Nobody asks him about what this phone call was. Right. And Lisa says, well, tell him about the jewelry. And they kind of go about the jewelry and the handbag. And the, and obviously, there's only one conclusion, that it's not Mrs. Torvald who, who left this morning, because women don't leave their jewelry behind. And this isn't really working on Doyle. Yeah, He walks in this really strong move straight up into a close-up in the camera and says, My Thorwald is no more a murderer than I am. And Jeff's like, well, does that mean you can explain everything? And he's like, no, I don't have to explain everything. That's not the point. People do all sorts of weird stuff. Mm -hmm. Like they have a right to private lives and we don't have to have explanations. Yes, the guy has a knife and a saw. People have knives and saws. Yes, he went out in the rain. He goes through all the stuff. And he did check the train and there really was a woman who went onto the train. He, He says, they go, well, what about the trunk? He's like, yeah, I found the trunk. Well, what about the rope? Well, it has a broken lock. Well, what's in the trunk? It's filled with all of the wife's clothes. Mm. It's like, well, did you send them to the lab? No. (laughs) Sent it on its legal, perfectly legal way. Yeah. You know, and they asked, well, why did she take everything he owns? And I like this as he goes, well, let's have the female intuition answer. And she says, well, because she's not planning on coming back. Yeah. And then Jeff asked, well, did he tell his landlord? I mean, if they're leaving out, moving out, did he tell his landlord? I think he's hiding something. To which Tom's response, looking at that suitcase, is... Do you tell your landlord everything? <laughs> and there's a pause. And then in a really warning tone, he says... I told you to be careful, Tom. But this proves the point. You know? It's like it proves the point that it's like, no, you didn't tell your... You're up to something yeah, here yeah, yeah. right now here. And you don't want anyone to know about it. Well, yeah. Yeah. This is my contention that Jeff is the flip side of Torval, uh, only that... But without committing the murder, he's just as entitled, just as uh, uh, I don't know. It just feels that way to me that he's not that much more different than Torval. Just well, and, he doesn't commit a murder. And if someone was staring into Jeff's apartment yeah. from across the road, who knows what story yeah. they would make up about yeah. what's going on? In there. Absolutely. You know, you see this woman coming and going. You see, I mean, mm-hmm. who knows? Yeah. Certainly the big story you would make up is this guy is a peeping Tom. Yeah. He should be arrested um, for staring into people's windows. Yeah. 
and and it's funny we get this little kind of strange bit of backstory at that moment which is doyle says if i was carefully piloting that reconnaissance play you wouldn't have taken that picture mm. that made so this is clearly in the war in a plane the beginning of him being a photographer happened right. with this guy tom which made him famous and tom's still trying to make this night let's just sit and have a drink and tell war stories but that's not going to happen yeah. he he catches it real quickly because she lisa walks over to jeff and he goes oh it's you against me and he goes okay i'm gonna go home and i love by the way he takes tries to take a snip of a sip of the brandy out of the brandy snifter and kind of spills it on his yeah. chest just to yeah. add a little bit of comedy um and he heads out but as he's leaving he goes oh that telephone call i uh, gave him your number hope you don't mind depends who they were uh, the police at marriageville they reported the trunk was just picked up by mrs anna Thorwald. and he leaves and we're left in silence. And what do we do when we're left in silence? Look out the window. Yep. There's uh, Miss Torso exercising. Miss Lonely Heart shows up with a guy. Yeah. They watch. The song, by the way, is Mona Lisa, the famous Nat King Cole song, right. uh, although not being sung by him. Miss Lonely Heart pours a drink for this guy. And it's basically she's doing the fantasy that we saw earlier in the movie. He kisses her rather forcefully. Yeah. We see Lisa watching, and her reaction very, very different from what Jeff's is. Miss mm-hmm. Lonely Hearts closes the shades, but not so much that we can't see from our angle. Right. Um, which, again, is like you have to direct your actor to close it exactly this many turns. Mm-hmm. What does it mean that Miss Lonely Heart closes the shades? Uh, what does it mean to you? That she's going to have sex with him. Yeah. That's what it means to me, mm-hmm. is that she's made this decision, but it does not go well. No. He grabs her very forcefully. He pushes her down on the couch very, very hard. She starts resisting. And it's like, oh, my God. Yeah. We're watching a rape. And you see Lisa's expression. And you see Jeff's expression. And the helplessness and the, like, I can't stop looking. I can't, you know, I don't want to look. I can't turn away. She slaps him, pushes him away. And she shouts at him and drives him out of the apartment. Yep. And he does leave. And then she closed the door and she starts crying as soon as the door is closed. Mm-hmm. And of course, there's this great contrast, counterpuntal contrast with the sound of Mona Lisa at the party that's just got oh, yeah. this crescendo yeah. at the moment that she's baking down and crying and she falls on the couch. Yeah. And it, it's so brutal. And you could see for the first time that Jeff feels bad yeah. about spying on this very private, very intimate moment. Yeah. And he turns around. You know, much as I hate to give Thomas J. Doyle too much credit, he might have gotten a hold of something when he said that was pretty private stuff going on out there. Yeah, Yeah. finally. Might have been. Yeah. I wonder if it's ethical to watch a man with binoculars and a long focus lens. Do you you suppose it's ethical even if you prove that he didn't commit a crime? Uh, To which Lisa says, I'm not much on rear window ethics. Again, using the title of the movie in the movie. And he kind of goes, well, of course, they could be watching me. To which Lisa replies, I think this is really interesting. She says, Jeff, you know, if someone came in here, they wouldn't believe with it. See? What? You and me with long faces plunged into despair because we find out a man didn't kill his wife. We're two of the most frightening ghouls I've ever known. And then she says, whatever happened to the old saying, love thy neighbor? You know what made me th- this made me think of? What's that? Jimmy Stewart in Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. Because when he's making his big speech at the end, he says, Because of just one plain simple rule, love thy neighbor. 
Now, I don't know that Hitchcock was thinking about Mr. Smith. Wow, interesting. Okay. I, and, and probably not. No, I'm sure not. But, but like, still. but if you think of, you know, what are two of his Jimmy Stewart's most famous roles yeah. are Mr. Smith Goes to Washington and It's a Wonderful Life. And the theme of both those movies in a lot of ways is Love Thy Neighbor. Yeah. And here we have Jimmy Stewart, you know, nine years after It's a Wonderful Life in yeah. a movie whose basic theme is don't trust your neighbor yeah. spy on your neighbor spy thy neighbor yeah spy thy neighbor <laughs> <laughs> by the way that's a good movie title <laughs> spy thy neighbor produced done. produced by the cinephiles done <laughs> um and then he said and then oh my god his next line she just said whatever happened to love thy neighbor he says you know i think i'll start reviving that tomorrow yeah. i'll begin with miss torso that's weird he literally yeah <laughs> said He's with the woman that he's who's come over to have yeah. sex with him. Yeah. And he's literally said, good idea on this love thy neighbor thing. I'm going to start with her. Oh, my God. Um, but she closes the curtains and says, not if I have to move across the way and start doing the dance of the seven veils. <laughs> it's like, no, I'll move it. I'll be your Miss Torso. You right. don't need another Miss Torso. Right. And finally, she closes the curtains, shades, and says, show's over for tonight. And she picks up her suitcase with a nightgown and says, preview of coming attractions. <laughs> like, you can't be more forward yeah. than what she's doing in this scene. Yeah. And she goes in the bedroom and we fade out. Later on, she enters. She's in the nightgown. Mm. Uh, by the way, this nightgown is almost the same one as the wife was wearing that got in the, in the yeah. bed. Yeah. yeah. And, and right before anything can happen in this scene, we hear screaming. <laughs> And they go to the window, and there the woman on the balcony is crying because her dog is dead. Yep. And an interesting thing happens in the scene is everybody, the people in the party, every single person, Miss Torso, Miss Lonely Hearts, everyone comes out to look, is it is the only time in the film where our perspective is not from Jeff's apartment. Right. Where the camera moves down on the ground, we get close-ups of Miss Torso and Miss Lonely Hearts, and man, the woman whose dog is dead is just screaming and yep. weeping at everybody and man they put the dog into the basket mm -hmm. and lift it up and it's sort of like a funeral procession i mean it's really yeah. sad then the party goes back to the party miss torso goes back inside and jeff goes you know what for a minute that tom doyle almost had me convinced in the whole courtyard only one person didn't come to the window look and we see that cigar yeah yep he knew Yep, and why did he kill the dog? Because the dog smelled where he buried the body. Yep. Yeah. Now, later on, Stella is back, um, and we look through, and uh, Torvald is washing the walls of the bathroom, mm -hmm. thus proving her theory, I think, about the... Uh, oh, the hot tub. Oh, the about tub. the tub, yeah. And she just says... Mm, must have splattered a lot. Oh, God. And they just look at her, and she goes, what? It's, it's what we're all... Isn't that what we're all thinking? <laughs> I love her. She's great. And suddenly Jeff has a thought and he asks for some slides and a little viewer and he pulls out the slides and and they're going, what, what's he doing? And he goes, he just thinks he just solved a, a murder. Mm. And they go, oh, Mrs. Torvald? And he goes, no, it's the dog. And it's a slide of the courtyard yeah. and of the flowers in the courtyard. And we look at it and then look at reality. Look at the slide, look at reality. Hands yeah. it to Lisa. She looks at the slide, looks at the reality. This is like those games in the newspaper where you have two pictures side by side. Oh, yeah, and you yeah. have to find the change. Yeah, the differences. I suck at those. 
I, really? the, I'm terrible. Oh, wow. Oh, awful. I love that. Awful. And I looked, at, I couldn't see the difference in this. I mean, even <laughs> knowing, I'm like, which flowers are shorter? But apparently two of the yellow zinnias in the front are now shorter in right. today than they were before. And flowers don't usually shrink. Yeah. And again, what is that doing? It's forcing the audience to pay attention to the image. Yeah. It's involving us, making us the detectives like they are. Um, and that is where the dog is sniffing around and something must be buried there. And like, yeah, Mrs. Torvald. Yeah. To which Stella says like, no, you couldn't bury a whole body there. Like you don't, <laughs> I know about bodies. That's not big enough, but you could have buried a part of the body there. Yeah. So we're going to call Doyle and Lisa's like, let's dig him up. Let's go dig him up. And he's like, no, are you crazy? Yeah. You're going to get your neck broken. And she's like, well, let's, we, we got to find a way to get into the apartment. I'm not sure what getting into the apartment helps you with. Oh no, I guess it's the ring. Yeah. That's the thing we're going to figure out. Um, and he, and, and finally he has, Oh, I got an idea. Get me some note paper. And we go into this great top down shot, which is very different from anything we've seen. Mm -hmm. And we see Jimmy Stewart with the note paper and Stella and Lisa standing around and the camera pushes in and pushes in until we see the note directed to Lars Tarvald. And the note says, what have you done with her? And he folds it up, puts it in the envelope and we fade out watching through this long lens. We see three windows. Uh, we see the hallway, and there's Lisa in the hallway. And we see an empty space, which is sort of the living room. And we see Thorvald lighting the cigar. And Lisa slides the envelope under the door. Thorvald gets up, opens the door just as she goes around the corner. Yeah, it's really close. Really close. So here's the thing people don't quite get about movies is that timing like that takes practice. Oh, yeah. You have to do it over and over again, and you want to get it exactly right. Mm-hmm. You don't want him to open up the door a second after she went around the corner. Right. You want her to, him to open the door exactly the right moment. Yeah. And this whole scene, because what's going to happen next is then he's going to look out the window while she's down below, and he's going to go lean over the fire escape, and she's got to duck inside again just at the right moment. Yeah. It is really scary. And Jeff is watching the whole thing. It's really scary for him. Mm-hmm. I and mean, Stella watching the whole thing is really scary for her <laughs> because this was not a great plan. No, no. <laughs> but we do see him pick up the uh, envelope and open it up, and we see his reaction shot. Yeah, yeah. Um, it is a great, great reaction. Stella goes for a drink because this whole thing was so darn stressful, <laughs> and then she goes, "Mind if I borrow that portable keyhole?" which is for the peeping Tom. It's yeah. a funny expression. And she looks over at Miss Lonely Heart. And Miss Lonely Heart is pouring out some red pills. Yeah. And Stella being a nurse, she recognizes those red pills. And basically, Miss Lonely Heart's thinking of killing herself. Yeah. Lisa comes in to find out what the reaction was that Thorvald has. And we cut to a close-up of Jimmy Stewart looking up at Lisa with the look of pure love. Yeah. So the woman who brought him the lobster, no, didn't yeah. work. The beautiful dresses didn't work. The woman with the nightgown didn't work. Mm. The woman who was willing to risk her life to go catch this murderer, he is in love with her. Yeah, that worked. That worked. Um, And now we're watching Raymond Burr with his handbag and packing. Mm -hmm. And there's a great moment, by the way, where we're following him in the long lens and the camera loses him for a second and then finds him again, which just adds some reality to to this film because you don't want all perfect camera spots. And now this Jeff suddenly thinks of, oh, maybe one of those rings was the wedding ring. Mm. And she wouldn't have left anywhere without that wedding ring. Lisa asks Stella, do you ever leave your wedding ring at home? And and Stella says, the only way anybody could get that ring would be to chop off my finger. (laughs) And as she says, finger, 
you see her realize what she just said. Right. And at that point, Lisa goes, let's go find out what's buried down in the garden. Jesus. And, she, and she's all excited. I think yeah, she course. saw the look of love from Jeff. Mm-hmm. And she's like, you know what? I've always wanted to, to meet Mrs. Thorwald. Mm-hmm. And Jeff's like going, whoa, whoa, hold on. What's this about? And Stella's totally on board. And the thing that I thought at this moment is, wait, what about Miss Lonely Heart? Right. Like you introduced this woman's thinking about killing herself. Oh, yeah. And we're not kind of focused on that at the moment. We're talking about, let's go dig this thing up. Mm-hmm. And I love, by the way, Lisa, when Jeff is resisting, goes, Look, Jeff, if you're squeamish, it's like... <laughs> Calling him out on it. Yep. Yep. Um, and he comes up with an idea. I bet I can give you 15 minutes, which is he gets Torvald's phone number. Oh, yeah. He dials. We hear the ring. And we're watching as Torvald picks up the phone. Yeah. This is like worlds coming together now, you know? And we actually hear his voice. Hello? Did you get my note? <laughs> he goes, who are you? give you a chance to find out meet me in the bar at the albert hotel do it right away why should i little business meeting to settle the estate of your late wife Mm. so he's calling as a blackmailer i have only a hundred dollars or so that's a start i don't feel bad for torvald i don't want to say that right but there are moments of vulnerability he's not just a big scary villain you know what i mean he's like a he's a guy yeah who did this horrible thing who's again i'm not sympathetic for him but you know what i mean like yeah. he's not he, you know as we've talked about the great villains in film yeah he ain't one of them no no no, no, no. he's just a dude yeah. who killed his wife and but he grabs his hat and he heads out and they say okay we're gonna go and he says well i'll signal signal you with a flashbulb if he's coming close so uh they leave we see him uh, grab his long lens and then he goes and pulls out his flash and his flash bulbs and he goes back to the window and now we see it's actually almost exactly the same shot as the opening shot of the film when the cat when we followed the cat up and right. so they go up these steps they climb over this wall they go into the other courtyard they get out the shovel they start digging um, and Jeff dials Doyle again on the mm-hmm. phone ends up getting a babysitter and leaves a message that no this is important and call me Um and the composer now has a jazz group up in his, his apartment. They're playing, yeah. and they start playing Lisa, the same song we've been playing, but now played complete, like it's really complete. And Miss Lonely Hearts has sat down to write something, to which Jeff's response is... Stella was wrong about Miss Lonely Hearts. No, dude, she's writing a suicide yeah, note. So yeah, right. Stella was not wrong. And the long lens now pans down to the empty hole. There's nothing there. And Stella looks up and shakes her head. Mm-hmm. Kind of like she shook her head when the trunk went by. Yeah. You know? And Lisa has another idea. Says something to Stella. Stella's like, no, don't do yeah, that. Yeah. But Lisa climbs up the fire escape. Yeah. And Jeff is going, no, no, what are you doing? What are yeah. you doing? She climbs up the fire escape, onto the fire escape, tries to go in through one window, can't, sees that the window that's not connected to the fire escape is maybe three feet away, yeah. is open, climbs over to the outside of the fire escape. Insane. Reaches, you know, puts her leg across and goes in through the other window. Right. This has gotten scary. Yeah. And Jeff is going a bit nuts. And again, great performance from Jimmy Stewart. Mm-hmm. He grabs his lens. Those eyes of his are so yeah. great. Those desperate eyes of his. His, his performance of reaction throughout yeah. this film is amazing. Uh, we see her find the purse and she looks in it. There's nothing. She turns it upside down. It's clearly empty. Again, great storytelling. Um, and he's going, come on, get out of there. Get out of there. Mm-hmm. And Stella comes in and she says that, that Lisa had said, well, ring Thorwald's phone if if i'm in trouble mm-hmm. and he goes like i'm gonna call that right now 
But then they realize that Miss Lonely Heart is really about to kill herself. Yeah. So now he's, instead of calling Thorwalds, he calls the police. Mm -hmm. And we hear the music, and Miss Lonely Heart stops. Mr. Jeffries, the music stopped her. And the music is so powerful, in fact, that we realize that directly above Miss Lonely Heart, Lisa has stopped to also listen to the music. And we were so distracted by calling the police that we didn't notice and Jeff didn't notice and Stella didn't notice that Thorold was coming back. Yep. Lisa! And the reaction from Jeff is just huge. Pure desperation. Yeah. He goes into the house. The police answer. Precinct 6, Sergeant Allgood. Hello. Hello. Look, a man is assaulting a woman at 125 West 9th Street, second floor at the rear. Thorold finds the purse. He looks around, and then he finds Lisa. Yeah. And he backs her up, and you oh. can see her trying to talk, and we don't know what she's saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He grabs her and throws her down, and we're like, oh, shit, is yeah. Lisa going to die? Mm-hmm. And he's holding out her hand, his hand for something, and she gives him something. And fortunately, as just as we think, like, oh, my God, something terrible is happening, she starts screaming, Jeff, Jeff. Jeff! Oh, no. We see the police show up outside the apartment. Yeah. And I don't know what's going to happen at this moment. Right. The police bang on the door because Thorold's turned the light off. Yeah. Like he's going to kill her. Yeah. And then he turns the light back on. He goes out to the police. The police come in and the look of sort of pitiful guilt yeah. on Thorold's face is huge. And we don't, again, know what Lisa's saying, but it ends up that she's kind of saying, I broke into his apartment. Mm -hmm. She doesn't say this guy's a murderer. No. And as she's talking to the police, her back is to us and her hands are behind her back. (laughs) And she is wearing the wedding ring on her finger and she points to it so that Jeff will see that she has the wedding ring. And she is getting taken away by the police with the wedding ring. By the way, hero. Yeah. This is full hero. I mean, Jeff is just sitting in his apartment with a broken leg. In action, yeah. Yeah. And... Unfortunately, though, as Jeff is seeing the wedding ring, Torvald looks behind the back yeah. and sees the wedding ring. Yeah. And then in one of the most amazing moments in the film, yeah. slowly turns and looks straight into the camera. That's the greatest, greatest moment in this movie and one of the greatest reveals in any uh, uh, film I've ever seen. Because Burr's face, when he realizes finally who it is that has been hounding him over the last, with that letter and everything like that. But then his realization that this guy could have been watching him the whole time is all in that face, man. Well, and and something that you don't really think about is most of the time, unless you're in a reality show or Mm -hmm. news show or something like that, actors don't look right into the middle of the camera. Exactly. Like even when we've talked about like Stanley Kubrick films where you have actors that are almost like the mm-hmm. shining they're right in the center of the frame they are looking probably at the just the corner right. the rim of the lens right when you look directly in the lens it feels completely different and so raymond burr looking he's looking right at us yeah we have been the voyeurs the whole movie and he is seeing us yeah he's not just seeing jeff yeah. so the police take lisa away obviously she's being arrested yep and jeff's first thought is we got to bail out Lisa. Yeah. And so he's looking, we got to get some money together. It's probably $250. I don't know why he knows how much bail for a first time offense is. Yeah. And he's not thinking, the murderer just saw me. Right. We're thinking the yeah. murderer just saw me, but they get together some money. They go into Lisa's purse, they go into Stella's purse, and Stella goes off to the jail right, to, to, bail to bail her out. And the phone rings and it's Doyle. And 
he's kind of irritated with Jeff, unsurprisingly, mm-hmm. but quickly Jeff explains that Lisa's been arrested and they found the wedding ring and that she's in jail. And Doyle goes, okay, I, I will go down and straighten this thing out. So to some degree, Doyle is convinced at least that he needs to go do something right now. Yeah. And, and then the last thing that Jeff says to him is this fellow is, knows he's being watched. He's not going to wait around forever. Right. Again, not thinking that I'm now in danger. He hangs up the phone. The phone immediately rings. He picks it up. And he says, while looking out the window at the dark apartment, Tom, I think Thorwald's left. I don't see. And then he figures it out. Mm-hmm. And there's a pause and a reaction. <laughs> and a pause continues. And then he says, Hello. And there's a long pause and then a click. <laughs> and then you see him realize what's about to happen. Yep. Great, great, great Hitchcock moments. Yep. And we hear a heavy door slam. And we hear footsteps. Yeah, man. And we're in this high angle of him in the wheelchair trying to figure out what to do. Uh, and now he's looking around going, what do I do? Right. You know he's looking. Is there a weapon? Is there, mm-hmm. you know. And he goes over to the front door, which there's a step up. He can't even get to the door to lock the door. I think. Right. right. And finally, the only weapon he finds is he has his flash and his flash bulbs, which he had to signal them before. And the steps get closer and closer, and it's slow. Again, this is this thing we talked about, the difference between suspense and surprise. Yeah, This is suspense. Yep. It goes on a while. Jeff wheels all the way back in the room, toward, right towards the window. He's got his flashbulbs ready. The door opens a crack, and in walks this huge silhouette of mm. Raymond Burr yeah. looking really powerful, and he moves into the light. Yeah. It's really scary. Now we're the voyeur watching Jeff. Yeah. Good point. And right. In this moment, yeah. now we are on the outside watching Jeff. Yep. As if we're across the way watching what he's going through. Well, and to be clear, what is all of film but voyeur? Yeah, true. You Very know? true. And, you know, and Hitchcock is a person that like, it's not like he lived crazy lives. No. He he had a purient desire to look into the darkest, mm-hmm. you know, naughtiest you know, we go back to this is what happens to boys who are naughty when yeah, you get put right. in the jail cell. Yeah. This is what he wants to look at, and this is the moment. Mm-hmm. And Torvald's first like, well, what do you want from me? Like, why Why are you doing this? And he won't answer. Nope. Your friend, the girl, could have turned me in. Why didn't she? No answer. What is it you want? A lot of money? I don't have any money. No answer. Say something. Tell me what you want. No answer. Can you get me that ring back? No. Tell her to bring it back. I can't. The police have it by now. And this is it. Like, now I've got to kill you. Yeah. And he steps forward, and he hits him with that flash. Yeah. And you see Raymond Burr's reaction, and then you see everything go red and fade out of the red. Yeah. And then it happens again, and it happens again, and it happens again. Yeah. What do you think of these flashes as a defense? Oh, interesting. Uh, I thought it was ingenious by him as a photographer to be able to use this. Definitely think that. Do you, but the question is, do you become more accustomed to it as the more you get flashed? I don't know. I, I, I think the first one is great. I think the second is great. I think the third and the fourth are not. Okay. You think it's you too know, much. It's too much because okay. I, I, I'd cover my eyes. Yeah. You know right. I mean? like, you figure it out. Yeah. It's like it, if it was a, it, the first one is shocking and yeah, brilliant. Right, right. And having the photographer use the flash as photography as his defense, great. Genius. Yeah. Um, but it does, it, to me, it goes on like one too many. Gotcha. Um, but he steps forward. And finally, uh, 
He grabs him and they start wrestling. Mm. And we see that the police are across the way and he yells for them. And we see Lisa's there and Doyle's there. Yeah. And Burr attacks and he's on him. And the attack is really weird. It's a ba- it's like a clumsy bear. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, uh, two things it reminds me of. One is, is Orson Welles in Touch of Evil. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That sort of violent, disorienting thing. And the other thing is, because it's cut really fast in a really disjointed way, yeah. is it's something we're going to see in a way more extreme view in the murder scene in Psycho, in, right. in the shower. Right. Is that we don't quite know what angle we're looking at. The cuts are really fast. There's this weird moment where his legs are up, and yeah. we don't quite know what's happening. We end up out towards the window, and everyone starts hearing this, and yeah. we see Miss Lonely Hearts, and we see the newlyweds. And we see Jeff is now hanging from the window, and Doyle asks for a gun. Creel, give me a thirty-eight. And uh, the cops grab Torwald, and Jeff is still hanging there, and then he falls. And Stella runs up, asks for a medical bag, and Lisa runs up, and he, oh, he's just happy she's alive. Oh, Lisa, sweetie, if anything had happened to you, she, I'm proud of you. And now he asks the next question. He asks is he asks Doyle. You've done enough for a search warrant now. <laughs> uh, Doyle says, oh, yeah. And then a cop leans out the window and says, Thorwald's ready to take us on a tour of the East River. And Stella whispers something to Doyle, who asks, You saying I was buried in the flower bed? Yeah. He said the dog got too inquisitive, so he dug it up. It's in a hat box over in his apartment. Here's the thing. How did he have time to tell yeah. all these things to the apartment? In but- those black frames, maybe? <laughs> yeah. But... <laughs> It's okay. Right. Because one of the things that Hitchcock knows that's really important is once you get to the end of your movie, get to the end as quickly as possible. Yeah, exactly. And that we certainly do because we fade out, we fade in, and it's sometime later. Mm-hmm. It's now 70 degrees rather than 100 degrees. Yeah. We kind of check in with some of our other people. Like the composer is putting on a record and he says, I hope it's going to be a hit. This is its first release. And who is in his room? But Miss Lonely Hearts. Yeah. Yeah. And she says, I'd love to hear it. You know, one thing I didn't notice, and I wish I had looked, hmm. is she wearing her glasses? Oh, I don't know. I don't remember. Because I bet that she is. Maybe she is. Because that means that he would be willing to see her as she really is. Yeah, maybe. Um, I wonder if it's on that YouTube. But he saved her life, and he was lonely, too. Right. You know, we didn't think a lot about him being lonely. But no, because there was always people in the apartment. Right, but even in one of the parties, he's kind of drunk and unhappy when everyone's partying at True. one point. True. Um, and she says, I can't tell you what this music has meant to me. Because it saves her. And then we start hearing the song. And the camera pulls past our murder apartment, which is now being painted. The uh, wife on the balcony is training a new dog. Yes. Um, We see Miss Torso, who opens up her door. And in walks Stanley, her actual husband. Yes. Who is a short, somewhat nebbish-looking guy who is in the military. And she's... And she says, wow, what's the army done for you? Which I think means he's lost weight. Mm-hmm. Um, and he says, the army's made me hungry. What you got in the icebox? Good to be home. Mm-hmm. So again, by the way, he doesn't isn't romantic with her. No, no, no. He goes right to... The men are terrible in this movie for the most part. <laughs> um, we see the sculptor. We see the honeymooners, and they're not doing well. No. Because the wife says, if you had told me you quit, quit your job, we wouldn't have gotten married. Yeah. So we're like, oh, this isn't going to go very well. Right. The camera pans up to Jeff, just like we were at the opening of the movie. Mm-hmm. He's asleep, except now, instead of one cast, he has <laughs> two true. casts. Poor guy. 
And the camera continues to pan to Lisa, who's reading a book that says The High Himalayas. And she's wearing slacks now, which we haven't seen before. So she's not dressed in a fabulous dress. Right. And we go, oh, maybe she is going to go on the adventures with her, with him. And she, But she lowers the book, sees that he's asleep, and picks up Bizarre yeah, and right, starts exactly. reading that. And one more important detail. Do you know what she is not wearing? The ring? A wedding ring. Yeah. They are not married. No. So I don't know that we really know where this relationship <laughs> is going to go. Uh, and this is the end of the film. Yeah. We reach our credits. She's not wearing her glasses. She's not wearing her glasses. As you were talking, I watched the end yeah, of the scene on YouTube. She is not wearing her glasses, but they look very happy. They look happy. Yeah. 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 So we've reached the end of um, Rear Window. Of course, this was a really big hit. It was nominated for four Oscars. Mm-hmm. It was uh, Best Picture, um, Screenplay, Cinematography, and Sound. It won nothing. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is the year of On the Waterfront. Oh, well, yeah. that makes sense. Yeah. Grace Kelly did win Best Actress for The Country Girl, which I've never seen. Wow. Yeah. Uh, but not for this. Oh, interesting. Um, uh, I have no idea, but she might be amazing in it. Huh. Um, and this is like, you know, as we were saying when we talked about Hitchcock, this is this era. He made uh, both uh, Dial M for Murder and Rear Window this year. Mm-hmm. Started Alfred Hitchcock Presents in 55. In 56 is, I think, The Man Who Knew Too Much. 57 is, uh, uh, we get into North by Northwest, and then Vertigo, mm-hmm. and then the Bird, uh, Psycho, and then the Birds. I mean, this run of Hitchcock is amazing. Yeah, yeah. agreed. John, yeah. what are your final thoughts? Man, what a great film to revisit or to start our our uh, month of Hitchcock and uh, explore the work in this film and how it like sparks this run, as you were saying here at the end, Steve. It's a fantastic film that, like as I said at the beginning, still holds up in 2018, has even more resonance, I think, as we've become more involved in other people's lives and gossip magazines now or all of the gossip websites all this stuff is available and especially what i do you know you hear all the gossip you read all the gossip about all the people mm. in business and whatever and you hear all the behind the scenes stuff that you can't really report on because there's no sourcing of it but you get it from sources who are friends of yours and you so there's people are intimately involved with everyone's lives now and uh, this film kind of is prescient in that way of what can happen, right? Because look at all these podcasts that have come out opening, uh, reopening cold cases about past crimes. And we're, in essence, Jimmy Stewart, listening to these reporters tell us the journey that they went on as they explored these crimes. So this ve- it's a very prescient film in that way, and I appreciate that for what it is. Uh, but also, uh, it's, again, Jimmy Stewart showing you what a masterful actor he is that he never gets the credit for. Oh, Pacino, De Niro, Brando, right? Everyone talks about those people, but no one talks about people like Jimmy Stewart, who's able to definitely transition uh, throughout his career from certain roles to certain roles to certain roles and become a deeper and more complex as an actor and show you the shades of the ugliness inside of people at times uh, without you uh, hating the guy behind it you know or in front of it rather so i love that um but in the end it's a fantastic film that i think is eminently rewatchable and uh you'll get something different out of it every time depending on where you are and uh leaves you wanting to see more from hitchcock which we get in the next few years and in our next week because as we continue our month of hitchcock Mm -hmm. um 
I'm so glad that uh, I got to revisit the film and really study it for this episode. Mm. Um, I learned so much just in terms of craftsmanship. You can't get better. The storytelling is absolutely perfection. Mm. Every You literally, and this is this thing that Hitchcock calls pure cinema, which is you literally are reading Jimmy Stewart's thoughts based on just a shot and his reaction. Yeah. A shot and his reaction. It's just masterful storytelling. But more than that, I think this movie is just so much deeper than a lot of the other Hitchcock films because of this idea of using cinema and these images that he sees mm -hmm. to actually explore what's going on in his own head. Right. And it relates, I think, to what Stella says at the beginning, which is the, rather than looking out the window, we should be looking in at us. Mm -hmm. And that is what this film is doing, is through him looking out the window, we are seeing the decision process within his own head. Mm -hmm. We are seeing his views on relationships and marriage played out, like his desire for sex with Miss Torso. We're seeing this image of Lisa as Miss Lonely Hearts and Miss Torso. We're seeing the honeymooners. We're seeing the unhappy marriage. And of course, we're not looking up at that happy family. And so we're seeing mm -hmm. all of the things that he's thinking through. It's almost like we're moving into his brain. And I think in a way, it's Hitchcock exploring personally mm -hmm. things that he is thinking about. His obsession with blondes, his being a voyeur, a person who sees the world by looking through the camera, his intellectualism, his controllingness, his need to have things his way. Obviously, all of his films, we see his need to have things his way. And this makes this movie somehow more personal than some of the other Hitchcock movies, which are equally beautifully crafted, but they don't get to the depth that I think this gets to for me. And I think, just as you said, is that, again, we have to look at we all have that desire to know yeah. what's going on, be up in other people's business. I certainly have it. And that desire comes from all sorts of social reasons that come through evolution, but taken too far, it ain't healthy. No. We actually should be allowed to go be ourselves privately and do stuff that we don't actually want people to see. Yeah. It's not that those things are necessarily murdering your wife and horrible. It's just that you should have the right to your own privacy. Yeah. Um, so that's what we think about uh, Rear Window. Of course, we want to hear what you think. Please visit us on Facebook at The Cinephiles. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, on YouTube, on Stitcher, TuneIn, Google Play. There are all sorts of places to listen to our show, including on our website, cinephiles.net, where you can also buy every single movie we've ever reviewed. And we're going to put together a whole page that's going to be devoted to Alfred Hitchcock, including Hitchcock Truffaut and a bunch of his other great films. Mm -hmm. So when you want to build up your Hitchcock collection, this is the place to do it. If you want to support the show, like so many of our Patreons have, you can visit patreon.com slash the cinephiles. And as we've just announced, we are beginning a new thing for Patreon subscribers only, which is Cinephile Short where John and I are going to do 10 to 15 minute conversations on movies that don't have to be 10 years or older and they don't even have to be good. If you pledge $5 or more, you can make a, a, a cinephile short suggestion and we might do your short and do a short conversation on it. Um, as always, you can reach me on Twitter at SR Morris and starting now, Yo. you can also reach me on Instagram at SR Morris one. You got to put the one on because I couldn't get the same SR Morris, <laughs> but I'm trying, it's going to take me a little while to get in the rhythm of doing it. Yeah. But I know that I haven't been a good person and communicating on all the social media. So please uh, reach out to me at SR Morris one on Instagram. John, where can they reach you? Well, you can always find me at the Roca says on Twitter and on Instagram. And although Steve says it don't have to be good, we'd prefer it if these shorts were good. So we could have something 
interesting to talk about. Well, to be clear, we're not going to talk about it if we don't find it interesting. That's true. That's a fair point. So you can suggest Police Academy 6, but we might, we might not talk about I've it. I've never seen it, interesting so yeah, we're not going to talk about exactly. it. Exactly. But I love this idea that we're doing the Cinephile Shorts. It was a great thing that uh, we're getting a lot more. We're getting cleaned up, and that's our goal for 2019, to be more cleaned up on the Patreon side of things so that you, those of you who have been so great to donate and give and support the show, we want to make sure you get what you or have been in uh, paying for or investing in and uh, making sure we're meeting your needs as a podcast. So thank you so much for being patient with us. And definitely 2019, and we're getting some help from Clay Williams uh, to make it all happen. And we can't thank him enough. And I think that's it for this week. We will back, be back next week for another installment in our month of Hitchcock with the film Vertigo. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park